tell you a story. It's official, old buddy. Oh, it has been. What are you talking about, man? You're Rick Dalton. Don't you forget it. Here I come. Smooth leave. You're goddamn right. Hey, hey. On July 26th, in a town of make-believe, things are about to get real. Charlie's gonna dig you. Damn it. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Welcome back to The Couch Command. My name is Keith Hayward. I am the host of The Couch Command podcast on popgeeks.com. I'd like to thank ahead of time Brian Klein, uh, the Sonic Clang, who produces each episode. And I don't think enough. I much appreciate his time. Also, want to thank Eileen, who hosts our podcast. Uh, she's the owner of popgeeks.com. And lastly, I never thank this other guy, the Starcadian, who makes our intro and outro music. Uh, you can find his music if you search Starcadian. I'm pretty sure he's on Starcadian.com. But also with me today, I have DJ. Say hi, DJ. So they know what your voice sounds like. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, thank you for having me, as always. Always a pleasure to hang out with the fellas. Right on. And also I have with us MJ. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me back. Also returning is Lobstermanic Reviews, Mr. Isaac. Uh, hey, excited to to, to uh, do some. Uh, I, I wanted to come up with a cute alliteration, but I, I'm blanking. I want to do a take on Tarantino, but that works. I think that 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 hit that hit. Talking Tarantino. Oh, there you go. Talking Tarantino. We're talking Tarantino as we do our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, hey, Isaac, you know you could always take the Sherry Terry voice and do. And now it's time for Tarantino talk. <laughs> okay to start i think it's a good idea to give like uh like our place in life with quentin tarantino uh like what was your first experience with him and and how has he been through your life um i'll go first uh i was in high school and um there was like this event like the the trailers were really interesting and i didn't know what was going on um uh, my film and like was it like a of the people who are in plays, the art people, play people, people who are in plays. Uh, I forget, there's a high school name for those kind of people. Theater anyway, kids. theater kids, theater people. Yeah, they're like, oh, you have to go see Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, and like we all went, and like it was amazing. Like my first time is like, um, it was like a, like a, like a, I describe it as a good Star Wars slash Matrix moment, where like the whole cinema landscape changed afterwards and you had seen something for the first time that would affect every movie afterwards and like you you're, you're kind of a, a, just uh blown away by like how it was never there before or, or barely there where um like when i came out of it i was like i felt like i just watched an episode of seinfeld on a cinematic scale where everyone's just kind of talking normally where people in movies definitely didn't do that and i was just I was just swept away by the dialogue and the pacing and the coolness. And I was just like, what the hell just happened? And then, yeah, more drugs and violence. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, like, and like I was, I've been doing lots of like video essays on him to find out like more of like, what do I think of Quentin Tarantino? And I do think that um, the reason why his dialogue is different and it is like Seinfeld is that uh, him growing up, he watched movies and television and I'm I'm guessing like television maybe helped shape the way he thinks about what dialogue should be versus 
the, the filmmakers before him who um, were trained off of like uh, theater and plays and movies. And that's why all of those movies kind of like, you know, kind of talk the same. And then like the new generation of Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith came along, raised off television where like you're, you're always swept away on a daily basis by like normal people talking about normal things. And then we get Pulp Fiction on a new scale. So DJ, what's Quentin Tarantino to you? No, I'm there with you in terms of, I, I remember Pulp Fiction being that, damn, this is raw. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is, this is elevated. This is definitely its own style. It's unapologetic. It, it definitely takes you there as far as the subject matter, the cool factor, the characterizations. Um, Sam Jackson and um, Chilvolta are just a great team. Um, the chemistry, for sure. But I don't. I think I, I think I might have been late to the Tarantino appreciation until like I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say because I feel like this is so much later. But it was really Kill Bill, which was like the amalgamation of like all the things, I loved. everything I love in uh, the Kill Bills. You know what I mean? Which well, whether it was Volume One, which was more uh, Eastern oriented, and then Volume Two, which was more Western oriented, to the point where there was like a whole ass anime short. In, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I feel like Pulp Fiction was like the 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 marker on the map, and then Kill Bill really made me go, "Oh, damn! He this is all the things." You know what I mean? Then obviously you yeah, have like the other uh, other works, uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs, all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, definitely a love letter to uh, the seventies. Yeah, um, yeah, I went uh, I went Pulp Fiction, then back to Reservoir Dogs, and like yeah, it was just. Something, something in the world changed when he hit. Uh, MJ, yeah. what's your feel with uh, Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, I was in the same spot as you guys. I had never really heard of him until everybody started talking about this Pulp Fiction movie. Oh my god, it's amazing, it's amazing. And I finally watched it and I listened to the soundtrack and I'm like, god damn, this is a pulp, this is a pulse center. This, this movie, it, it did mark a significant shift in the way movies were made because pretty much all the movies for the rest of the 90s were just clamoring to hit the same heights that Tarantino hit in Pulp Fiction. And to the point where I've avoided watching some movies because I was like, oh, you're just trying to be like Quentin Tarantino. Like, yeah, like Three Days in the Valley and the whole resurgence of Elmore Leonard in the late 90s, which and you know Tarantino did redirect one of the Elmore Leonard movies with uh, Jackie Brown, which was a, another adaptation of Leonard. Everything Leonard? that Guy Ritchie did Yes, she owes a lot to Tarantino. A lot. Oh. Sorry, I didn't like interject with that. Oh I yeah, to, easily. I'll also look up more Elmer Leonard stuff because uh, I he he is the father of Justified, which everyone needs to watch. Yeah, Leonard was a big Western uh, writer before that, but he was also big into crime noir. So like uh, Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Um, Get Shorty, another one with Travolta in it. Yep, both uh, those I. I've I am I've unfairly decided not to watch either Out of Sight and Get Shorty because I could tell how much they're trying to be like Quentin Tarantino. But I I've been trying to take up my my snob goggles more these days, and maybe I should give him a chance. I really liked Get Shorty. I know a lot of people like Out of Sight. I thought it was a little too bland for me. But they also tried to have like a mini Elmore Leonard universe because uh, Michael Keaton's character from Jackie Brown showed up in Out of Sight too. Hmm. So. Cool. Like, oh, great. Now we're going to have an Elmore Leonard cinematic universe. <laughs> Please, justified. 
And, uh, you know, and then, yeah, obviously, the, uh, Tarantino was quiet for a while after he started getting big into stuff with Robert Rodriguez, and then he showed up with Kill Bill, and like, oh, hell yeah, man, now we're going, now we're going. But then he came out with Death Proof on the back end of uh, that Grindhouse duology that he did with uh, Rodriguez, and I just kind of wrote Tarantino off for a while, because I just thought he was just being masturbatory on screen for just all the crap he wanted to put on screen. All right. I didn't really come back around to Tarantino until I uh, watched the extended cut of Hateful Eight that he put out on netflix and that kind of brought me back around i finally watched inglorious bastards and uh Django unchained because i'd avoided watching both of those until i watched hateful eight and that finally kicked me in the head and said oh you're missing out get back to it hmm. so now i went and saw once upon a time in hollywood in the theater and yeah i've, I've been back on board with the tarantino since so it's it's been very interesting wading back through his entire filmography and starting to absorb his, everything that he's absorbed and he's been trying to share with the whole world through his movies since then. And he's got one movie left in him, he says. So, and, so uh, he says, yeah. I, I think he'll oh, stick he to says. it. And uh, he's, it's, I, he, I, I see a hunger in him to do television. I'd be fine with that. I mean, yeah, I mean, based off of how well he did with the turning Hateful Eight into the miniseries on Netflix, I I would be down with that. If he did yeah. like an eight-part series here and there. So I, he'll uh, still be making Tarantino stuff, but it'll be like television, and then maybe just television long movies. Uh, Isaac, yeah, what's your feel on Tarantino? Um, I think Tarantino is an iconoclast. He's like the spirit of the 90s um indie film scene and he's probably out of all the filmmakers that came from that scene the one who's like kind of endured as like a staple like uh, kevin smith dropped off hard Ooh, uh, god uh, <laughs> I, I have no Me nice know. things <laughs> dude was my know. god he was my personal god and damn he just fucking crashed hard he, he was he like, lost his way i'll say that but say that yeah. again <laughs> he lost his way. I mean, he oh, started yeah. making that mainstream fluff in the middle, middle of the nineties, like uh, that one with uh, Ben Affleck and uh, oh. uh, uh, we don't speak a cop out. Ooh. In his defense, that was the one he didn't write the script for. He only directed it. But I'll, I'll um, say really quickly with him, like he's earned so much goodwill for me from Clerks and Mallrats that like he can kind of fuck up for the rest of his career, and like he still has Clerks and Mallrats with me for the rest of my life. So. Jersey Girl was his downfall, but then Zach and Mary. You, you guys are being so generous. I, I'm surprised you didn't bring up fucking Red State or um, the, the Walrus movie. I I'm gonna say I, I think I, I think I would have stepped the bat for uh, Red State. Uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure no, I like that. No, no. Yeah, no, yeah. Like oh, I'm gonna my, tear my, my, you. My my only well, strange thing with Red State was how much it didn't seem like he directed it at all. Like there's so much about it that was like. This is you? Like, all right. And then also, um, I'll admit a, a bias because uh, I, I, one time in LA, I became friends with Kyle Gallner, who's the star of it. So, uh, oh, nice. Yeah, he, 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 he's a good guy. Um, and, but like, yeah, I think uh, I can't tell how much I've been overly biased. But no, no, like, I, even before I met him, like, I liked it. But like I said, that'd be an interesting one to talk about because, like, uh, I was, kind of almost put off by how much wait and kevin smith did this because nothing about like how the shots and the story the pacing editing everything was like are you sure you didn't have like someone help you with this i don't know whatever you know who's the other biggest fan of that movie besides you right keith who tarantino 
Oh, cool. <laughs> no, Smith screened, it. Smith screened it for Tarantino, and Tarantino, because uh, it uh, featured Michael Parks as one of Tarantino's favorite actors, and Tarantino's had him in quite a few of his own movies. And Tarantino was sitting there watching with Smith. They were both stoned out of their gore, and he's like, man, you made a movie for me. This is amazing. <laughs> I just don't think it's like a very good, uh, you know, horror movie. I don't think it's a very good, like, you know, uh, the fear of religious fundamentalism. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Parks is uh, good in it, but like, uh, just like such a Michael Parks is the only good thing of that in Tusk. Yeah. Really? Yeah, <laughs> he gets like, a, but like Tarantino oh. is like the best at like um, finding diamonds in the rough, uh, finding talent for people who uh, were looked over and uh, not, you know, uh, he's revived so many careers. It is like such a prestige thing where it's like, oh, you got a part in a Tarantino movie. And, and Tarantino seems to have a great sense of like writing characters for actors. Um, oh, yo, real so quickly, th- yoga hosers. Oh, my God. <laughs> The less about the ass spelunking Nazi dwarfs, the better. I Uh, I cried pure vinegar. And and then, like, who was the other one? Like, I guess Robert Rodriguez. He's still going, but I I feel like he's more a work for hire than he's like an auteur. He's like the guy you go to, to like, he's like that, whatchamacallit, that director, um, Neil, not Neil Blackamp, but like Uh, the the, the, the dog. Yeah, he's like Neil Marshall, and and that like if you want to do something, but yeah, that looks somewhat impressive, but you don't have a lot of money, you, you get Robert Rodriguez, and, and he'll scrap it together and put out a finished product. It won't be super memorable. It, it won't feel like auteur cinema, but god damn it, Robert Rodriguez will get it done. <laughs> Once again, here's, he's here's also my, a guy. Here's my, yeah, yeah. No, I apologize. Here's my big thing about Robert Rodriguez because you have to understand. Desperado was like one of my favorite fucking movies. I was about to say, oh yeah, man, and like the the zero to a hundred between his like I do even back with uh, El Mariachi, you know what I mean? Yep. Which uh, you can you could argue that Desperado was basically kind of like a a retelling reboot, a sequel to Mariachi. But you take that and then you transition that to like Spy Kids 3D and the identity. I mean, obviously different genres altogether, but I couldn't even tell you what a Robert Rodriguez film kind of looks like past certain things. Like I like Sin City a lot. Uh, Machete is its own thing. Yeah. Uh, But then you get something like Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And bro, that that shit was a ball punch for me. Like it it was uh, a far departure from like Desperado. uh, So I'm I'm just saying like uh, Robert Rodriguez is all over the place in, in terms of like stock for me. Yeah, and quality. Once upon a time, Mexico. Are you a Mexican or are you a Mexican? Yes. I laughed so hard at theater when he said that. Oh my god! Did not see that line coming. But you have to understand, like everybody else was like, "Oh, that's a lie." I was with my, I was with like my, my my Latino homies, and they face palm like that shit. They're just like son of a bitch. <laughs> they, they, they didn't like it. <laughs> were, they, were, were they like? Did they have their hands in the air? Uh, you know, clenched, saying, "You are the chosen one, Rodriguez." <laughs> well, I mean, they, he was. They were. It wasn't like fist pumping, but okay. It's like the equivalent of like being black and and, and hearing the joke. Hey, why are black people so tall? Because they're Negroes. Like, oh, Whoa. <laughs> and you're like, I don't Slap you, forehead. But, <laughs> but you're sitting there just like, let me just finish my giant fucking soda real quick because it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's a bit of a <laughs> joke. 
I've never heard that joke, and I can go the rest of my days imagining I never did. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, Robert is also in, he, he, only, he only has like, what's like, he, in three movies, uh, Sin City, Desperado, El Marachi, uh, you've, you've won a lifetime uh, pass from me. Like, that is, you can now fuck up the rest of your life. Those three you movies are enough. What? but but yeah it's funny like like, like, the the, uh the difference in quality because like when he did his uh episode of mandalorian everybody was like oh man that was awesome then he comes in and terrifies the hell out of uh boba fett Fett. and let's not forget the weird collaboration you know uh the the battle angel aylita who i I still don't understand why people pretend to have a fandom for that fucking movie Okay, um, okay. It was okay. It wasn't as good as the anime, but it was okay for a Western interpretation of it. I give it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah it was, was pretty good. About, I was just about to say, like, I don't think Alita is as bad as people think it is, but it, it definitely was a passion project as opposed to, oh yeah, the fans want to see this, or there, there's an audience for this. Like, if you are a fan of anime, or at least a fan of interpretation, it wasn't bad at all. But there wasn't really a market for it. But if you watched it, you wouldn't say, like, oh, this is fucking horrible. You'd, you'd, you'd probably think, like, oh, yeah, this is definitely anime. So, Isaac, Isaac, let me put it this way. I mean, you look at what they did with Battle Angel Alita, it, at least that translated far better did than M. Night taking Last Airbender. Uh, oh, I think that's why. I think that's because, like, it, it came out as a decent-ass movie. That's what, you know, when, and that doesn't usually happen when you do an anime movie. I think that's. I will say this: like, even if the execution was fairly competent, the fact that it like felt like it had five separate acts and you know six story arcs jammed in incoherently. Um, you know, someone who browsed through the 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 manga, and I was just kind of like, all right, why are we going rollerball, and then we're going back to the the original, uh, you know, first story arc, and like, uh, this this did, and then it ends with that stupid cliffhanger with uh, what you call it. Who was the actor? Uh, I want to say oh, it was Christoph Waltz. No, it wasn't. Christoph no, the big bad at the end. Uh, who was that? Um, yeah, they had a what, was, A-list was actor. It, was it Topher Grace or oh, someone else? Um, oh God, it wasn't that bad? Um, and I'm sorry for anybody who's a fan of Topher Grace, but he could fall off a bridge, and we'd all be better for it. Ooh, um, girl. Yikes! Sorry, oh, man. Um, <laughs> I just don't like him. He's a Anyway, it's <laughs> okay. a reason I can't say Predators, but anyway. Um, <laughs> um, wow. But like, uh, so, all right, so back, back to Tarantino. Um, like, I feel like he's the one out of like the 90s boom who stayed the most consistent. All his movies are watchable. Um, uh, it's interesting because like on Film Bro Twitter, like uh, you could argue that like someone like Terrence Malick or Paul Thomas Anderson is like maybe the better filmmaker. But I think one of the reasons why Tarantino is because he's so imitated and he's so um you know parodied and, and so influential in culture uh I, I i mean to this day you still see once upon a time gifts of like leonardo dicaprio pointing at the screen he, he's just like a genius at like taking trash and making highbrow art from it and, and there is no one his equal my only complaint about tarantino is i wish he played in more genres like I, i'm so disappointed mm. we never got the um the tarantino star trek project uh, or just like a Tarantino sci-fi movie, like what would that look like? I will say this: I tend to really appreciate about Tarantino is I feel like um, 
the one thing I love about Hollywood, if there is such a thing anymore, is that grandeur of larger than life. And Tarantino always goes, which is ironic because Tarantino doesn't play by the ball. But he is that Jay-Z where he could threaten retirement for years, never do it, and you're you're still able to anticipate his movies, which I feel like you know, there's a few there's a few directors in the the game where you anticipate that director's movie. Uh, Tarantino's uh, absolutely one of those because I mean, again, most of the marketing is the seventh film of Quentin Tarantino, the eighth film of Quentin mm-hmm. Tarantino. Like you can count that, and you're just like, yeah, hell yeah, you know. You may anticipate a James Cameron movie, but at this point, he's and I, I, I think the guy's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But he's so full of his own ideas that it kind of becomes like, wait, how long ago was the last Avatar? 20 years ago? Cool. <laughs> when you um, said, um, if there is such a thing anymore, because uh, I think this movie kind of touches on that, like ends of eras. Uh, what do you mean by uh, feeling like there's no there's such thing as Hollywood anymore? No, that's a great question, bro. Like, it's just, it's the stuff that I learned to, um, I mean, it's that, that tinsel town, you know what I mean? It's stuff that I tend to appreciate on a, on a certain scale. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying celebrityism and thinking that you're better than anybody should be a thing. But there was right. such a mystique in terms of Hollywood slash Hollywood land where celebrities were an enigma. Uh, the stories that revolve around them was more hearsay yeah. and more legend and lore mixed with the reality of what it is. And don't get me wrong, like uh, many stories are like, hey, I discovered this person off of Hollywood and Vine. Probably not true, but it makes for a great story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But now a celebrity, quote unquote, doesn't exist again for better and for worse, but that feel of oh, did you see Sharon Tate? Oh my God, that's Sharon Tate. That whole feelness to anticipation of a new Hollywood movie, like everything's such a well-oiled machine where there's so much content. Again, pros, more work, more projects, cons. People are rarely unanimously watching the same thing unless it's a viral thing, unless uh, it just happens to catch the wave of the algorithms. There's like several shows on Netflix for better and for worse that I just wouldn't have watched if it just wasn't like trending. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so just that feel of, you know, you used to have to read a tabloid just to try to see a, a glimpse of, hey, that was Michael Jackson's possible pinky outside of his limo. That was amazing. So just that feel and now um, you encounter you encounter Michael Jackson every single day, every hour when he tweets, like you know what he's right. doing, and you can like, oh, yeah. Re- yeah, yeah. I I remember like um someone mentioning like the advent of Twitter and being, and the quote was, and you can convene directly with Ice T himself, and it's like, yeah, I guess that is a little. You, you get, we lose something of that the mystique of the distance of like celebrity and like. Well, him, uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead, Sorry, I, I, I just saw something that kind of reminded me of that. So um, I, I went down this weird rabbit hole about like the Disney Wish Super Cruiser. And on the Disney Wish Super Cruiser, they have like an Avengers themed, um, uh, what, whatchamacallit, like an Avengers themed restaurant. And it's like a dinner theater experience. And in the dinner theater experience, they actually like filmed like a, a, like a movie sequence with like a Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, uh, 
um, Anthony Mackie is the Falcon, and he's like quipping about chicken tenders and whatnot. And they, and they have this whole thing. And, and on one hand, it's impressive. On the other hand, it's sort of like, uh, oh Jesus Christ! Like, yeah. is this what celebrity oh, no. is now that you're just locked into this fucking forever Disney contract where the guarantees like twelve fucking, uh, you know, a hundred appearances over across of several several media? So you know, Anthony Mackie. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 he's, he seems like a ni- really nice guy, but he, he, he's got to turn in as Captain America to quip about the chicken tenders. Oh, the, no. That's a real thing? thing? Yes, it's a real thing. The actual actors? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, oh, so, so if I can touch on that real quick, and that's kind of the point, because, again, there's the pros and cons in terms of celebrities not being celebrities anymore, but popularity, you know, TikTok stars and uh, it, uh, influencers, they're hot one minute, not the next. And you're so you're filled with all these people who are popular and not to make it that kind of topic, but the certain type of physique can get way more traction than any type of hard work nowadays. So it's so fleeting to even appreciate the, the star, the stardom. And you know, the, the cause of that is, yeah, celebrities back in the days, like you, you really can't do it anymore because cell phones, but you know, they may have a little bit more push in terms of, you know, when Arnold, when Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say a dumbass cheesy line, like, I'll be back, it was like, yo, he said the thing, because that's Arnold mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger. Look forward to an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Celebrities are a dime a dozen where I have to literally do homework to even know who's in things. Like, uh, you, you know, you've ever, if you ever ask your buddy, oh, what else has he been in? And then your buddy's able to laundry list it or not at all. And then you have to look it up like, oh, they were in that. There's just so much yeah. input. You know what I mean? So going back to even like your example as far as celebrities doing marketing because Disney and Marvel literally changed the game where the Al Cap here in Hollywood or here in LA is basically the new Grauman. If you didn't know any better, that is where premieres are the thing versus the historical landmark, which is the Chinese theater. And I miss that mystique. I just really miss that, that, that. that, that power uh, looking forward to a movie and not having to know like, oh yeah, by the way, sequels two, three, and four are already planned. I'm like, bitch, I haven't even seen the first one. <laughs> and then also, I was talking to MJ the other day about um, well, it's like now like giant celebrities can make giant movies you've never even heard of. Like, because um, mm-hmm. like the problem oh, there's once we get into the movie, which we should get into soon, um, the problem with like great movies I found lately is like, uh, there's not much to say because like when it's something shitty, like we have, I've had some of the most fun podcasts and have talked about so much, but when it's so great, you're just kind of like, Oh, that was good. No, that, that scene was good too. So I was saying in like the next podcast we do should be something that's really bad, such as something that like pretty much no one's heard of somehow. Uh, have you guys heard of a movie called dragon blade? I don't no. think I have. It's starring Jackie Chan, John Cusack and Gerard Butler. And it's a Whoa. massive epic um, of Chinese and Roman soldiers in battle. And no well, one's heard of it. Is that a Chinese production? I, I'm not sure. And then also, it's jaw-droppingly, like, blow your brain out the back of your head bad and hilarious. Like, there's, like, this scene of this one guy who's just, like, on this ledge going hysterical and, like, holding his child. And he's, like, going, you're And they, they throw themselves off. And it's, like, in normal world, that'd be, like, a awesome dramatic scene. But you can tell that somehow something went wrong and everybody knows what's going on and they're just freaking going nuts in the movie. And it's, and no one's heard of it. And I think it'd be worth talking about eight years old. It was 
Yeah, it's a Chinese production, and Adrian Brody was in it, too. <laughs> Adrian Brody, yes! <laughs> Maybe that's what I thought instead of Gerard Butler. Well, all I can say is that uh, don't, don't consider abandoning the Tarantino talk too quickly. I was looking forward to hopefully having an excuse to finally see Jackie Brown and Reservoir Dogs, since I have not seen either oh, yeah. of those. I'd be looking forward to Tarantino. Raz Dogs, Raz Dogs, Raz Dogs. We should talk Raz about dogs. something bad sometime, because that makes for a lot of fun. Uh, discussion but so, so right. what is your the general impression of this film though do you got do you think this is the best tarantino movie because like the one thing i think is really interesting about uh once upon a time in hollywood is i think it's his sweetest movie like mm-hmm. this is the closest we've gotten to like a tarantino richard linklater hangout film in that like outside of the end there's not much violence um it, it's just kind of like hanging out in this era and this like uh spectrum of hollywood which isn't quite making it uh but just kind of like being like this sort of like b-level guy because like rick dalton isn't like like when you think of like the actor stereotype of like you know oh he's on hookers and drugs and abusing people and he's drunk you know he's drunk but he never like crosses that line to be like an abusive character he's just kind of like fun and pitiable but you kind of root for him because like uh, <laughs> well you know he's not an awful 100% awful person but you know he's like the sad sack that you kind of feel bad for He's relatable um, enough. He's relatable enough because he is the uh, a byproduct of that era, hundred percent, down to the smoking commercial. But go ahead. I was gonna say, like, uh, going around, like, uh, going off that, and then we go around the table of, like, yeah, our general feelings about the movie. Um, my general feeling on the movie, uh, I, I almost want to say it's the best, but I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of thinking I have to do to make that call. But like, uh, to me, it seems like. Where a lot of Tarantino movies are like like the best rock show or the best punk show that you've ever experienced, and like you know it's just rowdy as hell, and you you'll never forget it. This was like Tarantino's symphony, where it was beautiful. It felt like him completely. It felt robust and full, um, and I do love it. And like it, the craft is completely always on point. It's alive. I didn't feel any lost moments. Um, my Something I've been wanting to talk about ever since I first saw it in the theater was uh, the experience of watching it, not knowing really who the Mansing family were. How could you not like uh, even if you're right. not, not not super like historical? I, I feel like Charles right. Manson is like such a huge thing in culture that like you, I, you just get I, through osmosis. I've been doing after our generation, man. I've been doing research on that to find out. Yeah, why didn't I now? And like throughout time, it's just like wherever I've been, whoever I've been around. You've never gone in depth in it. All it is is someone says the term Manson family. So, like, all I know is, like, for all I knew was, like, some guy, his wife, and his children killed some people. I'm like, yeah, Manson family. <laughs> and that's all I knew. And um, so when the movie starts happening and, like, like as I was experiencing it, I could feel this kind of, like, wistful sadness around Margot Robbie's character. And I could not tell at all why it was happening. I was very confused. <laughs> it was beautiful. I was, I was, I was like, the, why, the why most, are they? That is the most interesting, like, <laughs> I think you're yeah, like the, the only person in the planet who yes. like, was able to tell, but did not know the historical and, context. And, and, yeah. And then like, she goes to see her own movie. Right. And then like, so I thought she was lying. I thought she was pretending. She's like, cause like the woman on the screen isn't her. So I'm just like, okay, she's just really into this actress. And she snuck her way in, acting like she's this actress. And then why? Why is this like shot so sentimentally? 
Right, well, okay. That's the best thing about this movie. There's so much context around ninety yeah. percent of what you see on the screen that you're just gonna be like, "Okay, what am I missing?" Yeah, and then he goes. If you take the movie at face value, right? If you take the movie just as it is at face value, yeah, it's a good, solid movie. It's one of the more middle tier Tarantino movies, but it once you actually get into all the ancillary uh, details and every th- every reference he shoves into this movie it's just a cornucopia of late 60s early 70s hollywood history and love and, and like um and like you get the the farm the the ranch and like there's like this menace feeling i'm like why are we feeling scared around children what's <laughs> happening here and then like in the leaves i'm like Okay, and then like the ending hits, I'm like, whoa! I mean, he just really wanted to beat these kids. Oh, All right. What's interesting was about the the Spawn family or the Spawn ranch that uh, the Manson family was holed up in. Mm-hmm. Tarantino intentionally shot that so it had the feel of uh, Toby Hopper's uh, first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, well, he wanted mm-hmm. you to get that eerie feeling walking around there. And then like all the way up to the end, I didn't get it. Where all of a sudden, like you know they. They put the Manson family and this Manson, 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 like on on the screen. And while I was reading, I was like, "Huh, you know, kind of reminds me of the Manson family." Oh well. <laughs> and then, like, I left the theater. And then, like later, you know, I was being, "Oh, oh, oh, holy shit! This is what's going on." So that was my fun experience of just being completely oblivious as to why there was this weird menace and 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 ferocity at the end, and then finding out later. Well, so that was yeah. like probably the funnest subversion that like, um, you know, you, you have the uh, the Manson family or, you, you know, you're, you're expecting a horrible tragedy. You're expecting it to be like vaguely tasteless uh, because it's Tarantino. But then is that is that what you guys are feeling? Because oh, like, oh, yeah. like if you did know, were you guys anticipating the final murder? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Th- that's the whole thing. I was expecting that. Like, well, that's the brilliant subversion of the movie uh, is that like you're, you're expecting it. You're like this sunset era, this idealism of uh, oh, with yeah. Hollywood that it was supposed to be and the you know the shadow of the Manson family and the idea is that like they, they kind of like you know bring uh, that sentimentalism to like the horrible reality of like the late 60s early 70s um, and all the sort of chaos that came in that era Um but uh, then Tarantino subverts it by you know hey let's not go to um Sharon Tate, let's go to Click Dalton's, and then he through the power of cinema, just like he did with Hitler and uh, you know the mm-hmm. Antebellum South, he tears into it with all the creative, imaginative, gory glory that he's famous for, and then it ends with the title screen "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood," and what we've been watching, just like uh, Inglorious Bastards, is a fairy tale. Nice. And um, really quickly, when you said the sunset era, I've been wanting to say this metaphor ever since, like, uh, I've been watching like a lot, lots of essays and interviews and whatnot, and, like, there was this weird, com- uh, understandable complaint, but I think misunderstood complaint that uh, Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate, didn't have enough lines, and I was like, she didn't need it, because there was something about her that was, she felt like the sun in the sky of this movie. Like, yeah, she, 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 she was she was completely the presence of whether you knew the historical uh, reference or not. She was absolutely the, uh, the, the feel or the heart without needing to say much because you just, you, you got to see through her eyes. I mean, even her watching her own movie, 
was definitely the innocence of that era than her being pregnant, a reflection of like, even like the swinger culture and like how everyone's just kind of fucking everyone and like everyone's mm-hmm. doing drugs and everyone's all whatever. Like she, she was definitely like a force on screen, which is a testament of execution, but also just, uh, like I heard, I, I think I read somewhere like, uh, the real life Sharon Tate's uh, sister was like driven to tears just from her, her presence yeah. alone. And, um, I guess like most people were anticipating the like like I said, she felt like this sun glowing over the movie, and like as if you know what's going on, you're waiting for that sunset, and then mm-hmm. the movie says, "Hey, in this fairy tale world, the sun never sets." And yeah, the charming ideal of like a movie star who just like goes to a movie theater in the middle of the day just to watch people react yeah. to their performance. Like I don't think I've ever heard like a story about that in the modern era of like a modern actor just like going in just to see like how people react. Uh, it's a slight take like on so something that Quentin Tarantino actually did because uh, like that's a story that actually Quentin Tarantino actually experienced where. He wrote True Romance, and then he was on a date, and he took the woman to the movie, and then he was like, wait a second, I wrote the movie. Hey, could I get in for free? And that's what that came from. <laughs> yeah. And then they yeah, also yeah. did their questioning him. They're like, yeah, can we see some ID? Are, are you really him? And then that's when people started taking pictures of him outside the theater, and that's where that that's came funny. from. Yeah, uh, DJ, awesome. what's, your, what's your feel? What was your experience of seeing this movie? And yeah, thoughts, feels. No, I appreciate you. Um, okay so the question of whether or not it's tarantino's best that's so hard because it's it's like what we'll, we'll constitute as best right like is it the most actiony is it the most technical and difficult to film um i almost argue like this film is like probably his most filmmakery like this is like his most straight laced form of filmmaking before all all shit breaks loose at the end you know what i mean um even like the journey of dalton and uh Again, just that uh, that journey between going to the 60s and 70s and seeing like a washed up star. Like all the characters are, they you have to vibe with the characters in order to be invested in what happens. Not only in the, the background of the, the Manson stuff, but like legitimately Dalton's, Dalton's career and how he does have this, this pal in Cliff Booth, which that, that camaraderie is goals. You know what I mean? And, 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 and even the the replacement of like for instance like wanted dead or alive with, with steve mcqueen and they did the whole body swapping with uh with uh with rick, rick dalton it's it's such a a cool because me i'm such a i'm such a fan of like the hollywood pursuit mm-hmm. and I, I i love even him being on set with like that little girl and that little girl gives him a compliment and he's just like thanks Thanks. And that, 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 that scene of him just freaking out in the trailer, this, all of it. Right. And I'm only talking about Rick Dalton just because, I mean, you know, that's, that's a big part of the movie, but I, I love that love letter. I really do. And it is so based on investment into the characters of wanting to see what happens with Cliff going to the ranch and even like the, the feel of strange being on the ranch and even just the subtlety of the humor. I would argue this is like Tarantino's, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'd like to imagine he had like a lot of fun just making a movie. He, he I mean, obviously he always makes movies he wants to make, mm-hmm. but this is obviously a movie he wanted to make. Um, and I think it shows. I, I definitely think it shows. I think he, I think he uh, delivered a very specific, um, you either get it or you don't type of movie. 
That's what I feel. Well, well I, there's something I'm really curious to hear your opinion about it, DJ, because you, you're a professional stunt double. Uh, so I, I imagine, like, how did all the, like, Cliff Booth stuff resonate? Did it feel, like, very authentic or, like, a different era of, like, stunt doubles? Or uh, were there any extra, like, little details that, like, really, like, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, that's what set culture is like? No, I, I'm still able to relate to it, but I'm, um, I'm more of a professional body double than stunt double, but I work very much in tangent with a lot of the stunt community, so I'm still able to, like, give input on it. Actually, all of it, all of it was a reflection of its era. You know, there is a certain synergy between, you know, the Bruce Lee scene and having the stunt actors hang out like that. And don't get me wrong, sets are still, like, hangouts, but, you know, it's like we we're, we're at 2023, as we're currently recording this, like, there's definitely a feel of people who've been in the industry for a long time versus the footing of the industry, if that makes sense. So being able to hang out on sets, having a, a, a cigarette, yada, 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 we still haven't reached the, the height of like Star Wars yet or, or, or industry movies like that. Like, like industry was still making movies that, that were going to be hit or miss, you know what I mean? So that feel of set life in general was definitely, definitely 70s. Like it, it just, it just, or sixties, I should say, it just felt like, oh, this is the purity. If there was such a thing of like organic set life, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Versus nowadays, everything is very much like every person you 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 meet on set, whether it's the grip, the the ads, the uh, they, you just you, you kind of feel like they've done it all, or they they just work together too long at this point, or they could talk about when they worked on MacGyver back in the day, or they could talk about like, oh yeah, I went to New Zealand on this one product. Like it's all very much like veterans that have done it versus the rawness of this of the 60s if that makes any kind of sense are you saying like it's like people are more used to it now versus the 60s where it seemed like you reached heaven yeah the 60s where it's it's very much like it's the guy again once upon a time in hollywood it's the idea of hollywood it's 100 percent you know um trying to find a performance trying to not be washed up because you know tv being on tv is like a step down from being in the movies, but you also don't want to ignore. I mean, again, one of his big his big uh, successes was finding fame, or Dalton's finding fame in like Italy or overseas. So it, it is about the the sacrifices, the uh, the making the, the 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 working out deals of it, the rawness of it. Where nowadays it's literally, you know, you're hot today, gone tomorrow. Which is why I do appreciate a Tarantino saying he's able to retire on his own terms mm-hmm. because if you're not, it's like music nowadays. And the reason why I use Jay-Z as an example is, like, if you don't announce relevancy, if you don't post something in a week, you're irrelevant. You're just, you're just, you just are. So, I don't know, I just love that journey of, like, a washed-up actor just trying to find his place in, in Hollywood, down to the point where, hey, who's my next-door neighbor? I've never even met them before. Do you think I could rub elbows? You know I mean? That, I don't know. I like, I like the, I like the, uh, the underdog story, but at the same time, almost pulling the curtain back of, the way the industry really, not really was, so it's obviously going to be stylistic, but the way the industry, a peek into what the industry was at the time. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but hopefully there, there is like a, <laughs> a, a difference, a difference between like, a, a difference between like um, background performers and what the, what, and what the superstar is supposed to be. So having Dalton, even like fight Bruce Lee was a nice little peek into, you know what? People used to talk a lot of shit back in the day because that's just kind of the way the industry was. 
I, I did. Um, I do think that like Brad Pitt's like Cliff Booth is like had this this effortless cool. Where like on one hand you'd think that like oh look at this guy going to this trailer behind a movie theater, uh, <laughs> ma- making macaroni and cheese uh, in his little trailer, and, and on a surface level that sounds like the saddest thing in the world. But like he is just this like real sense of contentness that it just feels like yeah this is the Sigma life. <laughs> the Sigma the, the entire time. <laughs> Why isn't he like he should be living with uh uh Dalton or Dalton should be putting him up someplace. I like he he's they're they're that close of a friends and he needs him that much. I was like he, this guy who's this cool, he doesn't need to live in a trailer. Whoops. Yeah, I always wanted to that's just the way he wanted to live. He didn't want to feel like he was mooching off his boss. Okay, that makes sense. That's that honestly that and, and honestly that wasn't wasn't very uncommon back in the day where you just kind of had it, that that was your version of your entourage so to, to get back to like uh, the original question though um but as far as it being like tarantino's best movie i wouldn't say it's his best movie but if you appreciate the the the, the, the topic and uh, the 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 subject i think he he did a great job just with the investment of the characters because you gave a shit about what happened to him and um, i'm always a sucker for like good characterization especially when we we live in a day and age where movies are very forgettable and um you're not really invested you're just easily tantalized <laughs> mcu what <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> well, well so here's two things i want to kind of bring to the uh the, the tribunal um one uh what do you guys uh do you think rick dalton oh, Dal- real the- quick real quick yep. real quick sir uh you and mj still have to say like what you guys felt about the movies Oh, uh, all right. Do you, you want to and finish that, can, and then I'll, then I'll uh, bring up the, the the subject. I'm curious to run by you guys. Yes, please. And then, um, so uh, while you're on stage, Isaac, uh, what's your feel of the movie? Uh, uh, I, I thought it was great. I guess my only complaint is I thought it was a little self indulgent. Like, I don't think you needed like a half an hour of um, <laughs> you know, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, filming the the Western pilot. But like, the film is like such a sweet energy. I think it gets away. I I do think it's mid tier Tarantino because I don't think, but I do think it is like the sweet. I, I, I think what I think uh, compared to his other films that makes it stand out out so much is that the tone is so wildly different from other Tarantino movies uh, and that is something I always appreciate in an artist uh, or filmmaker was when they could do something that you know doesn't feel like they're trying to find say the same sentence in a different way so I, I love the fact that this is a like a sweet idealized form uh, and it like it, it literally builds nostalgia for something I never had <laughs> it, it reminds me of like uh, growing up in the 90s and watching reruns on TNT and uh, for this old sort of uh, style of um, celebrity and Hollywood culture, uh, and I love it that it's not like a behind the music kind of like expo. Because like when when you think of like Tarantino, like uh, let's say imagine this movie didn't exist and it's like Tarantino's making a movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you you imagine like S and M dungeons and child weird child sex things and all this like um, you know messed up over the top uh, violence. Mm-hmm. Things and uh, you know this like a uh, kind of pulpy violent crime thriller, but instead we get this like a uh, very sweet thing with like a uh, this lovable goof of a character who you want to succeed and like the coolest stunt man ever, like <laughs> the badass who we all wish we were. I, I think I love that scene. Like I- I- we all wish we could like get away with it where we have just some obnoxious dude cackling as he like, uh, you know, cuts, uh, the tire of our vehicle and then we just beat the shit out of him and make him change the tire. 
Cliff Booth is 100% one of those male characters that's like up there for me in terms of if I had to be like a man's man, Cliff. He Booth. is cool as hell. And cool um, as hell, man. If you want to see, if you want to like the what you're talking about, like nostalgia for things that you know you aren't actually nostalgic for, I looked up like all these people that they were homaging. And if you want to see who Cliff Booth is pretty much based off of, look up clips for a guy called Billy Jack, and you will see. Right down to like uh, cadence of how he talks, like, facial expressions and posture, and like yeah, like this era of like uh, late the early seventies uh, cool guys and and sixties uh, cool guys. Like I I don't explore that or those eras ever. And I, I I sampled and I was like, oh my god, they're having some fun back then. And these people are like, yeah, so cool. And um, yeah, yeah, the nostalgia for stuff. That you're not nostalgic for you get just get that by osmosis through this movie. And- Did Pitt really base that character off Billy Jack? It just he just kind of struck me as Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt. <laughs> it does seem like him, but I mean, amalgamation like of every character he played in the '90s. There's a clip of Billy Jack when you watch. You're like, oh wow, uh, maybe Brad Pitt based himself off that guy because it's freaking on the goddamn nose. Like you, you I, I, get, I, I get, I get what you mean, though, in terms of like, like Brad Pitt playing himself. Uh, but he's definitely based on 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 what you're talking about. But there's just so many. Like Brad Pitt just effortlessly does cool. Like oh, yes. just the dumbest one-liners. Where who are you? The devil? No, nah, that's not it. You know, just the dumbest like lines <laughs> where you will throw like a can of food at someone and just start a fight that way, and then get stabbed, and it's fine because. I'm anyways. I don't feel it. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I, I, I like cracked up when I saw that. I forgot about the can thrower. He just throws it and he like implodes impl- <laughs> the person's face. Like I, I think of the Brad Pitt is like or the Cliff Booth is like the ultimate ideal of like he he just wants to chill. He's a chill guy, but if you if you provoke him, he'll step up with it once he ha- has like permission. Once he says like, all right, we we agreed to this. Uh, yep. Like and just uh, one last thing because I didn't watch too much of it, but like there's a scene of Billy Jack. He's got a cowboy hat on. He's walking through a park, and like a whole bunch of dudes just come out. And they're gonna fight him, and like uh, this boss hog looking guy comes up to him, like to say, "Ha ha, we got you, Billy Jack." And like he like like he's doing an impression of Brad Pitt. He goes, "I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take the side of my right foot, big hit across the uh, the side of like the left of your head." There's not going to be a damn thing you can do about it. And, like, it was, like, how Brad Pitt talks. And, and sure enough, the guy did it in, like, whip fast speed. And it was like he was Brad Pitt taking apart the kids in a movie. And I think they even mentioned, like, that is, like, who they were trying to reference. But, like, yeah, I, I highly mention- recommend looking up, like, who they were watching. Did they mention if Cliff was former military in the movie? Yeah, yes. yeah they said he was a warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. did. Okay. Because yeah, I was trying because. Obviously, the way he took apart the three kids in Rick's house, like, Jesus, that's some special forces training there. The last thing I want to say about that whole sequence is I feel like this was, like, that living room talk as far as, like, if you had the opportunity to fuck those kids up who done in Sh- uh, Sh- uh, Shannon Tate, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What would you do? And it was, like, legitimately that scene was, like, oh, man, I would fuck their ass, like, fuck them up, da, 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 da. Yeah, write that down, write that down, write that down. And, like, literally, he represented what you would do to those assholes, given the opportunity. And that's what happened. Yeah, made them look like fools. And, yeah, that was, that was uh, now, with, with full context, that's beautiful. Uh, Isaac, any other things you want to say about the movie, and then 
uh, MJ, and then we go to your question. All right. Um, I think that uh, like it gives you nostalgia for something that you never thought you'd be nostalgic for. It, it's this effortlessly sweet movie from like you know Leonardo or you know uh, Rick Dalton uh, bonding with the little actress method actress girl on set. Uh, it's it just an incredibly surprisingly uh, sweet movie, which is not something you'd expect from Tarantino. Uh, so I'd still say it's like mid tier, just because the quality of t- what Tarantino does is so high. When he's at his best, but I still think it's a you know an excellent, uh, wonderful movie. Great bromance. <laughs> uh, MJ, your your feelings and thoughts on the movie? Uh, my feelings are pre- pretty similar to Isaac's. I mean, it's a great mid tier movie, which you know would probably be upper tier for basically any other director. Um, that's why it's kind of funny because I just watched uh, Damien Chazelle's Babylon a couple weeks ago, his three-hour <laughs> opus to the end of the silent film era in Hollywood, and yeah, it, it's almost like Damien Chazelle watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and thought, no, nah, I need to Tarantino this shit up a little more. And Is it good? Because I'm watching it in a couple weeks. It's... Well, it's another movie with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie in it, so... Hmm. I, I heard mixed uh, things that it's not as good, you know, I've heard it's like a big misfire, even though Damien Chazelle's like, kind of like, you know, the it guy in, in like, a young... Another movie. Oscar darling, yeah. yeah. But, uh, it, it's... It's not as sweet about uh, the halcyon days of Hollywood of yore as uh, Once Upon a Time is, and even the title itself, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, does... Supposed to be Tarantino's uh, tribute to Sergio Leone, who did you know Once Upon a Time in the West and Once Upon a yes. Time in New York. Um, I don't know it, it's good, solid movie. Um, it doesn't seem to take as many risks that Tarantino is usually known for in all his other movies, and the complete lack of the N word for the entire runtime of the movie was definitely appreciated. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was just a good, solid, sweet movie, like Isaac said, and. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And like I said previously, uh, it's a solid movie if you take it at face value, but once you actually start reading into all of the references that Tarantino packs into it, you realize that 90% of it is just him going, ha how well do you know my world? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Tarantino originally had um, started off with a script as a novel he was writing, and then he got a couple of years into the process and realized, oh crap, I should make this a screenplay. And it took him five years to bring it from that point to where he turned into a script and started shopping around and getting started to cast it. And the book does exist. Yeah, he, he, did, did, turn, he did turn it into a book. Well, that, that, uh, that's actually a really good segue. So, so that's what I wanted to bring up. So mm-hmm. uh, how sure. many of you guys thought, uh, think, do you guys think Cliff Booth killed his wife? Well, here's, no. a, here's a funny thing. That's... I've been reading up on it. It's supposedly an allusion to what happened to Natalie Wood, because Natalie Wood died under cer- mysterious circumstances. She drowned while she was out on a boat with her husband, Richard Wagner, and Wagner was never officially brought up on charges for it. And there's a lot of people who think that that was uh, Tarantino's allusion to what may have happened with uh, Natalie yeah, Wood. Uh, I heard that, too. Um, I think he had a hand in it. I think that's that's part of uh, his mystique. Um I mean, unfortunately, he, I mean, the way he lives is so modest. He might have went to the deep end. He seemed like the type of dude that, unfortunately, maybe he didn't have a choice in it. I don't know, but I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to say, say yeah. the answer is yes and no. Um, so, like, um, she was going nuts on him and to a point where, like, he was he would love to have done it, um, which is why, like, you know, finger on the trigger, gun pointed toward her and, like, angry enough to do it. Um, but then that you heard the the sound effect of that wave hit, 
and then bam, killed her. So that like, if he didn't have that like instinct of wanting to finger on the trigger, just just on the one second away from doing it, uh, I don't think he would have done it. But I don't think he was crestfallen that the wave made him do it. So, all right. So you ready for the definitive answer? Because there is a definitive yeah. answer. All right. So he, it's revealed in the book. Um, one, it was a hair trigger. Two, all right. So, um, and the, so, so basically, yes, he did kill his booth. Tarantino gives Billy's death an entire chapter, chapter 10, the misadventure. But the first sentence is sufficient to settle any debate, at least regarding what happens in the novel. The, the minute Cliff shot his wife with a shark gun, he knew it was a bad idea. Cliff shot tears into his, uh, shot tears his wife into two separate halves, which the remorseful murderer holds together with set for seven hours, keeping her alive until medical help arrives. Booth keeps his wife talking to distract her from her injury, and the couple more or less reconcile after having the seven hour conversation they could never have in life. Then the Coast Guard shows up to try and move Billy off the boat, and she falls apart and dies. Later in the chapter, in an extremely unpleasant passage set in Cliff's mind, the stuntman convinces himself that his wife's death was practically the accident he claimed it was, for the following reasons. One, it was a hair trigger. Two, it was more instinct than a decision. Three, was it a pull, or was it closer to a twitch? Four, it wasn't like anyone was going to miss Billy Booth. She was a fucking C-word. Did she deserve to be ripped in two? Maybe not. But say without Billy Booth on this earth, the sweet life goes on unabated would be an understatement. Really, only her sister Natalie was upset, and she was an even she was an even a bigger fucking c word than Billy, and she was really only upset for a few, for a while. So Cliff carried the guilt, carried Cliff carried the remorse, and Cliff vowed to do better. What? What does? Uh, what more does society want? The countless numbers of American soldiers he killed, he saved by killing Japs, were definitely worth one Billy Booth. Damn. Can I just say this? Can I just say this? Just you reading it? I got goosebumps, man. Like the, you know, the being able to have that conversation that they couldn't have in whatever, seven years or whatever years or, I don't know, man. That was, that was, that was deep. Yeah, it was, it, so so it, technically he did murder her, but the, the sense we get is that like it was kind of an accident, and he was remorseful and regretful, uh, and, and they they had like this like uh you know heart to heart as he tried to keep her alive, but he couldn't, uh, and, and had the conversation that they couldn't seem to have in life. So, but he did technically kill his wife, but I guess that just sort of makes him like a morally conflicted antihero, the the the, the, the person who can do bad things and stand up to it when you need to, uh, for, for better or worse. How could Cliff have gotten away with it with, even without an involuntary manslaughter charge? I mean, uh, they were the only two on the boat. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> uh, my- I'm sorry, the shark gun accidentally went off and cut you in half. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That you got to read the book to like I I can I don't have an answer for that. that. I just gave an answer. I just thought that was interesting cuz all over the internet when the movie was came out, did Cliff Booth kill his wife? Does this make this you know a horrible misogynist movie if he did? Uh we 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 need to find out about it. And and the fact that Tarantino actually gave like a definitive answer after the fact in the, the book I th- find really interesting. I almost feel better of not knowing cuz the way that Tarantino did the chump cut away from that Right as he was uh, thinking about it, and like, okay, there's just enough ambiguity there that you don't hate Cliff for it, but well, know, there's, there's, book universe, there's book universe and movie universe. Right. Yeah, I mean, if anything, that's a testament to his filmmaking, though. I mean, he could have laid it out, and he chose to leave it ambiguous like that. So, if anything, that's a testament to, hey, not everybody read the book. 
appreciate it this way. Well, it's probably in the four and a half original, four and a half hour original cut that Tarantino had of this, and then he had to had to whittle God, it down to two and a half hours <laughs> as a mini series or something. I'd, I'd watch the hell out of that. Well, there was talk of uh, them releasing Once Upon a Time as a two parter, a la Kill Bill, but Tarantino decided he didn't want to do that again. It, right. I, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, I, I feel like it would have been like a two parter. I feel like is warranted for an epic, not kind of like a hangout slacker movie. Um, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you really have to be invested to want a part two to this. Like, the what the, the, the Kill Bill was okay. The revenge isn't resolved. Versus, what are we really looking forward to in, in a part two of this? Just uh, the, 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 the continued adventures of Rick Dalton. Oh, I think like uh, the two parts would have been like will probably be in the middle like of this this narrative, but the same the ending would have still been the same. No, but, no, no, I get it. But oh, my okay. point is like to, to to leave it where to stretch it that far to to assume that people would wait to you know what I mean? Oh, I, guess, I see uh, what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's the, if it feels complete as is, you really have to be invested to be like, oh man, I really can't. I really want to. I, I really want to see if he. He uh, if he makes it, and I want to see what happens with the Manson family. Like, eh, no, no, tell the story. Just, let's get there. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. find out the extra hour will just been them going overseas and uh, Rick doing all the Italian spaghetti westerns that he did. Yeah, I think exactly. he actually wrote episodes of Bounty Law though, and they're like think either they shot if they, if they were thinking about doing them, and I want that. I want more. I want more Bounty Law. I would not be against that. Well, what was, um, how about this? Sorry, yeah, what was your thought? Uh, I was gonna say, like, uh, I was gonna ask uh, what people thought about the Bruce Lee controversy. I thought it was. It's so funny how, like, in Tarantino's sweetest movie, he still manages to like it's court controversy. Piss somebody off. Yeah. Piss somebody off. <laughs> and uh, apparently, he did do the like homework. I, I don't know, Keith. This is something you have. Like, oh, yeah. That like uh, Bruce Lee had nothing but contempt for American stuntmen, and he was kind of like, sort. No, no. Oh, Oh uh, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I've been listening to like the podcast with Quentin Tarantino on it, and like doing a little research. And uh, also want to say, uh, kind of friend of the podcast, I podcast with Mike Mo, uh, who is Bruce Lee in this uh, movie. Big shout out to Mike Mo, bro! Big shout yes. out to Mike Mo. He killed it. Do you know Mike? Oh, I have an appreciation for Mike. I don't know him like oh, we've been arrested. You know, what I mean, at best. But I've always been a fan of his career. I loved him ever since, like, well, it was probably before this, but if, uh, for all you, uh, uh, street, street fighter heads or fighting game heads, yes. he played, he played Ryu in, uh, Joey's, uh, Assassin's Fist, which was critically acclaimed, man. It was probably the closest things, we, uh, closest thing we ever got to a good adaptation of Street Fighter anything. And he's so humble. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I don't know as well as you do. Hey, but, hey, don't forget about like Julia, man. Come on. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm like we're best friends, but like uh, I, I think I, I got to meet him off his first role in a show called *Common Rider Dragon Knight*. Uh, yes, I just got yes, lucky yes. enough to a uh, friend up with like the director Steve Wang and went out to the rap party and I got to meet him. And like it, it was, it's beautiful seeing like a person like that rise because he's just just a guy, just a kid at the time, like you know wanting to hit that dream, and he made it all the way to Tarantino. So it's really cool to see and. um yeah, yeah, and then also, like we, also, we did, like, it, it, also in Brad Pitt's uh, acceptance speech. Sorry to interrupt, but in Brad Pitt's, uh, Brad Pitt's acceptance speech, he actually gives Mike a huge shout out. And nice. to me, for, and, and for me, I'm never this guy because I'm a little desensitized, um, more than I like to admit. But when he when he did that, I got boosted for me. Cool. You know what I mean? Because like 
Again, this is such a great role for Brad Pitt. Cool, mm-hmm. Cooler than cool. Humble, humble as fuck. If, if anybody in the industry who who's... Like, one of the big uh, things about Brad Pitt, if you know anything, is, like, there's a service called uh, Central Casting. And a lot of times, um, a lot of productions will hire their, their backgrounds and extra work and uh, fill in their, their, their scenes from from talent from balance from central casting it's like one of the the more obvious stuffs if you're if you're beginning in the industry i guess brad pitt well the legend has it brad pitt used to use that service but also back in the day brad pitt used to like do you know odd jobs and mm-hmm. there was one time where he couldn't really get off so like i guess central central casting it was like this whole thing where basically they fell out and then supposedly brad pitt became brad pitt he did like Thelma louise became who he was and then from then on out he refused to use anybody he was central casting nice. just because of like the not understanding of that so the humble beginnings of brad pitt's story and his legacy so for him to to be on that stage getting this award and you just like oh big shout out to mike mo my man mike Aww. mo really i was over here just like you know what man fuck yeah mike go ahead sorry take it away no no problem uh yeah and like um I, I did a podcast with him and a uh, guy, uh, another stunt guy, uh, actor Matt Mullins. Uh, we did a review for a movie called Ninja, and I have to admit, this is like one of the first only times with Mike Mullen and Matt Mullins. I was, I was starstruck. It was my worst podcast I've ever done. I'm still embarrassed uh, at the, the job I did with them. Uh, they were professional, but I was just, I was like, I was stunned because, like, I just, I've seen them on TV, and like, they're nothing but fun. And uh, so, yeah, seeing him in the Tarantino movie was just mind blowing. And so, for me, at first, uh, I also did Bruce Lee worship. Like the guy is a god to me. And seeing, like, I don't care who you are, throw Bruce Lee against a truck, and like, I was just like, no, no, not cool. All right. And um, I'm a fanboy of uh, Sharon Lee, the daughter of Bruce Lee, and I was with her with like, yeah, f this. But then um, I, I started seeing there's like a video by uh, Accented Cinema that went through the breaking down of hey 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 hey, and I don't think he was talking about Bruce Lee specifically, but like the worship that um, Hong Kong martial art fans do for their stars, and how he broke down. And just so you know, I'm gonna break your heart. No, Jackie Chan does not do all of his own stunts. Right here, right here, right here. He didn't do these stunts. Yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. You gotta understand these people are people. And they're normal people. They're they have flaws and faults. And Bruce Lee himself, God that he is to me. Um, like so, in Hong Kong, they have a different way about it, where there's more connecting and hitting and, and fighting and you know whatnot. But when he came to America, that was just not a thing here. And he didn't try to acclimate people to it. People didn't want to be acclimated to it. There are people who refused to fight with him because he's like, yeah, he's freaking actually kicking me. That's not what we do at all. Uh, there's like a guy who was kind of like Cliff Booth that was the only person who would fight with Bruce Lee. They became friends. So yeah, like then going with that kind of context and knowing that Bruce Lee was a blowhard deservedly because he's freaking awesome, but showing like the ground level of it, like him on set doing his thing and like how he did br- rub stuntmen the wrong way and seeing him be human about it and even be humbled, uh, just brought like this texture to him uh to me uh of his human level that i think was warranted and like he's still bruce lee like even if he got beat up in this you know print situation 
he still rose up to be one of the greatest stars of all time. But yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. why I appreciate uh, Tarantino's explanation of it on uh, Rogan's podcast. But mm-hmm. you know, like Isaac mentioned, how a lot of American stuntmen, or like you guys are talking about, Lee didn't have much respect for American stuntmen because you know they didn't connect, they didn't really actually fight. But um, the whole thing about um, the fact that Lee wanted so hard to be a movie star, in addition to all the spiritual stuff that he was doing on the side. And, you know, the American machine at that time was like, foreigner, we're not going to let you in, because they were still bent quite a bit against the Asian community actually getting somewhere and being successful in the mainstream. And I, if I was Bruce Lee, I'd have a massive chip on my shoulder still, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, the other funny thing about that scene is that uh, little quip that uh, Bruce throws at Brad Pitt, saying, you're, you're pretty, you're, you're a... Uh, kind of pretty for a stunt guy, and then, uh, you know, Pitt's going, well, I try. Uh, <laughs> that was actually a line that was suggested by Burt Reynolds. Cool. That's funny. I would love to chime in uh, the Bruce Lee thing, if that's all right with y'all. Yeah, um, please. Dude, so, Bruce Lee is iconic. I put Bruce Lee in the same category as far as, like, Elvis, um, yep. which, by the way, I saw that movie not too long ago, fucking amazing movie. Um, and, Austin Butler. Yeah, exactly. I've been shot Austin in this role because I don't look at Austin and be like, oh yeah, he's obviously Elvis and that dude killed the part. But anyways, so I think even in the stunt community, it's, it's very divisive because like the, the legend of, of Bruce Lee, the legend of Jackie Chan paves the way for that industry mm-hmm. to the point where, for, for, to the point where hashtag uh, make stunts an Oscar category is still a thing. You know what I mean? Because they really don't get that respect. I mean, at the time, it's always the star. I mean, it's always the stars. And we're in 2023, and that still hasn't changed much. I mean, yeah, if you're lucky, and if they're humble enough to, to, to kind of share the hey shout out, that's great. But they're still not even getting close to what uh, they probably deserve. They're, they're breaking their bones. They're, break, they're breaking their bodies every single day just to train, just to be ready at all times, just for the call that they may or may not get. It's it's very dance community in that sense where your body has a, a, an expiration. Some a little bit longer, some a little bit less. But, you know, once that's gone, you, you've sacrificed your best years just to be able to do this stuff, right? So with Jackie Chan, that... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'll just kind of dumpster of all the technical categories they have for the oscars and the golden globes nowadays they don't have one specifically for stunts they should no, no not at all and it's and, and it's still Prime. a huge it's still a huge uh topic for the stunt community because of that lack of not respect but but deserved recognition Writing. yeah recognition yeah yeah notoriety uh, deserved recognition and even deserved uh pay balance because again Unfortunately, they do treat them like backup dancers where you're a dime a dozen. For what, what one person won't do, another person will. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's funny because uh, at the time of this uh, recording, like one thing circulating is somebody was watching Bad Boys 2 and recognized that Will Smith wasn't driving the fucking car, like no shit. But, but the guy wasn't even close. Like he was very dark, didn't have any of Will Smith's uh, feature, but, you know, here he is looking like a badass just driving the shit off this car, you know what I mean? But that's just it. So with, with Bruce Lee, the, the legend of Bruce Lee, which has been done in movies, about bio, uh, biopics, uh, dragging the Bruce Lee story is still an, uh, a, a, a triumph. Not necessarily, not necessarily accurate, but it gave you that glimpse, right? But even with all those movies based on Bruce Lee, the rumors that come out, nowadays it is the legend versus what's realistic. 
to the point where Michael Jai White, again, another actor slash martial artist that if you know him, you recognize the skill, you recognize the respect. If you don't, okay, he's your OG spawn. There you go. That's Michael Jai White. And he also played a young Mike Tyson. But even he would say he could probably beat Bruce Lee. Yeah, just I, I saw that interview. I like that. That's because of that's because of size difference. But here's the thing: he didn't mean it disrespectfully. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of what it is. Like people saying, like, there, there's also a lot of controversy as far as like some of Bruce Lee's uh, achievements, like the one inch punch, how many people were in on it, and to pull the curtain back. And obviously, I'm not an authority on anything, but if you look at some of the stories, it's a lot harder to call out what's real compared to today. Because most people um, aren't willing to go along with the gag. And I totally understand where his daughter's coming from. Maintaining her dad's legacy is everything. Mm-hmm. But it's like uh, it's like Elvis Presley being Elvis Presley. Like, if you don't understand the phenomenon that was Elvis Presley, like, you don't understand how huge that man is. But now he's very parodied. I mean, he has basically um, a costume cosplay on, on the strip, especially in Las Vegas. But when you pull the curtain back, you, you realize like he's like, he was larger than life. And so was Bruce Lee. And then, like you said, there wasn't really a place for, um, um, Asian actors or Asian stars to the point where they had to make him wear a mask for the green Hornet. So yeah. a lot of, uh, his, uh, skill set, like, yes, did he paved the way and was he giving like these private lessons to these stars? Absolutely. Was he ahead of his time in terms of his philosophy? hundred percent. Was he a perfect dude? No. Several accounts of him actually, you know, um, in infidelities. But again, a huge star at the time. Not saying it's right or not, but I'm just saying not uncommon. But keeping the pureness of his uh, his legacy in terms of his mastery, in terms of being the seafood of all seafoods, is important. However, it's he is he is not above an ass whooping. He's just not <laughs> like weight class alone. Weight class alone, he's not unbeatable, but he is a badass. I mean, he, Jackie Chan is way more athletic than he will ever be, unfortunately. Like, that's not even a debate at this point. Like, legitimately, they used to call Bruce Lee the three-kick fighter because he only was known for being able to deliver three kicks. A flying Mm -hmm. kick, and and with the same leg, by the way. Jackie Chan, in his prime, we're talking about OG drunken master. Man, those stunts alone, like, yeah, eventually he did use some stunt doubles, but in, in his prime, he was doing a lot of his own shit. There was very little he would not do. And then people forget, in Rush Hour, he was already in his, like, 40s. Like, he was an older dude. So, yeah, he was not doing his own stunts by then. All my ranting is just to say there's a lot of legacy that's important, like, especially with the Bruce Lee uh, Foundation and even, like, the, the Presley uh, estate and all that, it's important to maintain that that mystique. And, of course, you don't want to ruin that by any type of challenging of that. So I don't think Tarantino was being blatantly disrespectful. I think he did do his research. I do think I think Bruce Lee was probably a jerk sometimes. And he probably, he definitely, there's definitely been reports about, about him, like, They've done, they've done parodies. Like, there's actually a Street Fighter, not to bring it back to Street Fighter, but there's literally a Street Fighter episode in an anime where, where like, Bay Long, who's based on Bruce Lee, was like, I want a real fight. None of these stuntmen can challenge me. And then he ends up fighting Ken Masters. It's exactly oh, yeah. based on Bruce Lee <laughs> because it's, it's it, but it's exactly that because he was known for it. So I digress. There's the legacy. There's what you hear. There's the importance as far as what he represented. But he's not an unbeatable god. He's just not. And that was the other thing that Tarantino pointed out in the Rogan podcast is uh, the fighting styles between Cliff and Bruce, because Bruce was known for being an ass-kicking tournament fighter, whereas, you know, Cliff was trained by the military to just kill. 
Yeah. And that's the way he fought, and that's why they, they Tarantino talked about the, choreog- the uh, choreography of the scene of why Cliff let uh, Lee have the first shot. So he knew that he could help Lee build up his confidence with that first shot, and that Lee wouldn't change it up for the second one and try to go after him with the same one, and that's when Cliff changed it up and threw him into the stunt coordinator's wife's car. But let's keep it real. That throw was realistic. He wasn't right. a big guy. Like, Bruce Lee was a very slim dude. Even him and his most profile, pushing his chest out, that dude was negative 0% body fat. He was light as a fucking feather. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's going to be as vascular as Bruce Lee is ever. But he was very skinny. He was a tiny dude. Well, just a quick, quick sidebar. You know that Bruce Lee had to negotiate to make sure he didn't get his ass kicked by Robin, right? Oh, God. I'm glad they did that. I, I would forgive the universe if I saw that it's, happen. There was an episode of Batman where they had the green, where they crossed over oh, with Green Hornet, and they had Green Hornet and Kato show up, and they were going yeah, yeah. for the same perp. And at one point in the episode, they have Batman and Robin versus Kato and Green Hornet, and yeah, basically yeah, yeah. Uh, Bruce Lee had to negotiate so that Robin didn't win, and they just fought to a Good. stalemate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm okay with, you know, Bruce Lee being human, but no, 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 no. Robin is not beating Bruce Lee. Thankfully, oh, some metal, Batman. Come on. <laughs> Glad that did not yeah. happen. Who was that masked man? I sure got one on him. Gee, Willikers. No, but <laughs> I, will, I will say this. At the end of the day, I still want to stress this. The Nobody else did what Bruce Lee did. I want Amen. to stress this. So as, as much as I'm, um, I'm, I'm talking realistically, Nobody did what Bruce Lee did. Nobody brought the culture the way Bruce Lee did. I mean, again, we're so... It's a lot less now, but I still respect. I still have a big love for, like, legacy and, and paving the way and things like that, you know? And, oh, uh, yeah. and, and Bruce Lee philosophically, mentally made Asian actors a lot more threatening, a lot more appealing, a lot more imposing. And he, without him... Starting that, not by himself, mind you. I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of pay- uh, pavers, but he was so iconic in terms of the Asian community being strong. That's all I got to say. Well, and let's not forget about um, the fact that, you know, the Kill Bill Volume 1 is basically a huge level letter to Bruce Lee with the uh, the yellow suit. The yellow jumpsuit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the yellow jumpsuit. So Absolutely. you can't say that, like, Tarantino uh, has no affection for the guy, and he was just like, like you know, <laughs> I'm going to uh, take you down a peg. Yeah, but that's like, yeah. Saying, like, that's, that's like saying no one's an asshole. You know what I'm saying? Like, I pick your favorite person, with the exception of maybe like Keanu Reeves at this point. But pick your favorite <clears throat> favorite person, and there's probably an asshole story about him. And yeah, Bruce I, Lee just wasn't that wasn't an exception. And Bruce Lee definitely definitely compensated for his size. Like that's all there is to it. A person might be able to throw Bruce Lee. That's all I'm saying. Two things can be true at the same time. Dude is a exactly. legend. Dude was uh, a human. Um, one other Mike Mo story. Um, so I forget, like, so Mike Mo actually, he's in Wisconsin. Uh, he left Hollywood to create a dojo, a successful dojo in, I think, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Um, so then I forget how he got back, uh, called back into Hollywood for this role. But um, he was called to Tarantino's estate to do a reading. And he was, like, one of the first ones to arrive. And he didn't know who else was going to be in the movie. So, like, to his, like, Quintero just loved seeing, like, the the dawn of surprise on his face as he's like, all right, who's going to, oh, my God. And, like, you know, uh, the Brad Pitt walks in, Margot Robbie walks in, uh, 
I'm forgetting Dalton's real name. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it was just like, like, uh, he's like the, the ascended normal guy. Mike Moe was there. And then like the, the bigger stars start walking in and he's just surrounded by like his legends. So that just had to be one of the most beautiful experiences I could ever. And you know, you know, it's all, uh, something I have any of you guys ever seen Hollywood by uh fucking Ryan Murphy on Netflix. No, oh, no, uh, I would love to. I like Ryan Murphy. Uh, oh, do you? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely, I, um, I'll say I loved Ryan Murphy and he's earned a lot of goodwill with me. Like, uh, his early stuff. I think he did, uh, nip. Tuck. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's what he's famous for. Um, and then yeah, American yeah, horror story and whatnot and a bunch of, yeah, yeah. His, his start was amazing. And then like he started annoying me and then I stopped well, watching he, stuff. He's like, a super, his first stuff. He's a super producer. So you, you cannot deny that the man is successful and probably one of the best television, one of the most successful television producers of this current era. But he, he did like a mini series on Netflix that I kind of hated, which was also kind of like uh, once upon a time for Hollywood called Hollywood. And, and Basically, it's like mm-hmm. uh, in the 1940s, it's a fictionalized version of Hollywood, but it's kind of like this idealized version of like, um, you know, what if uh, Hollywood somehow was more progressive and somehow overcame, you know, sort of like the racist and this, uh, homophobic stuff that existed in the 1940s and uh, had a more idealized version. And there's like, a, there's like five monologue scenes, like Jim Parsons in it. And it's like, ah, we're going to change this town. We're, we're, we're going to make it better. We're not going to stand up to them. But uh, you, you gotta suck my dick. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I I just hated it. I I, I you know it's Aww. supposed to be like this. I, I just think it's interesting to compare it versus like uh, Tarantino's vision of Hollywood, um, which is like you know effortlessly cool, uh, showcases the the positive aspects, and it just kind of like focuses on all the things that he loved about that era versus the other one, which was just kind of like this schmaltzy maudlin rag, which just basically felt like a bunch of theater kids doing like 1940s accents and <laughs> just mm-hmm. going on. On for like a, a, a four-hour miniseries. Oof. Yeah, so I, would, I mean, guess I won't be. I, I mean, I also will check it out to do my own uh, my own due diligence. But I mean, unfortunately, and maybe I mean, I'm sure it's not lost on you. But I mean, unfortunately, that that is part of the business, man, or at least has been uh, before uh, cell phones and a lot more uh, accountability on sets. I mean, it's not innocent. It's just not. I mean, a lot of it's nepotism. A lot of it's who you're sleeping with or not sleeping with. Um, I mean, you always hear these stories as far as like these child actors being taken advantage of, let alone uh, young women, not even saying men, even like men are now stepping up in terms of like, yeah, I was, uh, you know, inappropriately proposed to, to engage in some shit that I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not down with. Uh, and uh, the blacklist. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, not that I don't disagree with like those things being depicted. I just thought that like the Hollywood movie or the Hollywood miniseries, uh, like uh, they had like there's this thing that like had a tonal whiplash where they had like they give Jim Parsons he's kind of like supposed to be like the sleazy agent guy, the sleazy gay agent uh, who makes people do sexual favors. But they have like one season scene where they like you know I oh, you're the good guy you're gonna stick it to the man, but you know then he's like uh, you know let's change the system, but you also have to give me my blowjob. 
So it was like such a right. weird total whiplash to go from like, uh, whoa, more, Jim Parsons more, did more that. More inclusive, but also you, you still got to do it. But we're also, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight the system, and it, it felt like every other character had that moment. And I, I, I just sure. think it's an interesting that came from Sheldon. Yeah, and it came. From, I thought it was an interesting contrast of like, um, you know, the sentimental 1940s Hollywood, which kind of didn't feel like. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear any of your thoughts. I, I don't think it's worth watching. Maybe you can go watch a trailer for it. But if you ever, if any of you ever do see it out of curiosity, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I can't stand Jim Parsons, so I'm out. I would definitely well, highly, no, 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 highly I, I, recommend uh, Nip Tuck, hear, though. That was one of my favorite shows of all time. I do want to get back to Tarantino, but like, I want to hear why can't, you, why can't you stand uh, Jim Parsons? Big Bang Theory. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Oh, just, just, just simple as that. Just, just the character. Too smarmy. I mean, uh, the only other role I saw him in was um, Hidden Figures. And I like the movie. I just he the guy. It's like watching cardboard act. It just he doesn't really strike me as having much of a range. It's almost like his Sheldon is the peak of his dramatic abilities. And it just it. I'm not. I'm not going to say he's like the worst actor ever. I'm just not going to make an effort to see anything that he's in. No, no, that's more than valid. Everyone has different tastes. Um, I'm always curious because I have like my impression as far as uh, what constitutes as uh, good acting versus strong actor versus that person's good for certain types. You know what I mean? Um, I think Jim is actually a good actor. I don't think he's done anything that's ever, ever challenged his range. Like case in point, it's not always easy to memorize your lines. You like you would think like it's a no brainer to like. Hey, read the things, regurgitate it. It's not as easy as you, as you think. I do think right. he has a very niche uh, presence on screen. It's almost like I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll take Jim over like like Michael Sir, uh, Sarah. What, what's his name? The, 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 the Michael kid? Sarah. Michael yeah. Sarah. Yeah, I, I'll take Jim over him any day. I'll That's give you that. Uh, yeah, Michael and, Michael Sarah plays the same character. Anything he does, every fucking <laughs> thing he does, like not even close to like range. But I can see. But Jim, on the other hand, he just hasn't done anything with that range. But like. I don't know, but I digress. So back to oh, well, speaking yeah, of um, like, uh, I love that scene yeah. where uh, what you call it, uh, Rick Dalton is like memorizing his lines in the pool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that was like a major part in like um, kind of like selling you on the fact that like you wanted him to succeed. The fact that he, you actually see him doing the work, he's kind of doing it in a booby way, but he, he's still trying. He, and, you know, I, I, I assume that that has to be an, a historically accurate detail that like you know recording to, uh, like. Uh, record recorders is what what actors had uh, available to them, and, and that that was like a p- common practice for studying your lines before going to set. I love the simplicity of Dalton because he is relatable, even if you've never been in his shoes. Like it is legitimate. And let's just give a big shout out to the flamethrower. I mean, come <laughs> on, the fact that that at all. The fact that that was screenplayed and like, and then he goes for the flamethrower and that fucking happened. And you're like, there's my Tarantino ness because why the <laughs> fuck not? Why the fuck not? This is fucking awesome. So, dude, so the relatability, just like being excited, like, oh, oh that's, there's me right there. Oh, oh, that's me coming up. Da, da, da. Like, he is relatable. You want a bro like Cliff, like every character, like you, you kind of just got it. And that's the investment. And that's the beauty of this type of film, because it's not for everyone. Kill Bill has something for everyone. Um, Pulp Fiction has a little bit something for everyone. Even Inglorious Bastards has kind of something for everyone. This is very specific to like you either get it or you don't. Uh, in, my see. Opinion, in, my, in, in my opinion. 
I, nope, I, I I agree. This is like very love of Hollywood and filmmaking. Um, yeah. And then like this movie, apparently like uh, one of the biggest inspirations what this was uh, being on it in during Inglorious Bastards. Um, he didn't say which actor it was, but there was an actor who had had his own stuntman for several years, and um, he insisted this guy needs to be here with me for this movie. And something was like they're like you know closing it on the end of like both their careers or something like that and that was his inspiration to do these two characters (laughs) that's a great little 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 touch of like the bond between a stuntman and his actor and just he being like that 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 was actually supposed to be another allusion to burt reynolds because uh it was wiley thought that uh tarantino based it on based the relationship between rick dalton and cliff booth on uh burt reynolds relationship with uh Oh, uh, what the hell's his name? Famous Hal Needham, his longtime stuntman, who actually did live with him, and uh, cool. Hal Needham actually was living with uh, Reynolds for about twelve years. And while he was living with Reynolds, he wrote a little script called "Smoking the Bandit." Oh yes, yeah, oh, yeah. and then Needham and Reynolds said he would do the movie, but he insisted that he'd only do it if Needham was allowed to direct. And that's how what helped launch Needham's uh, directing career oh. after that. And, and honestly, I guess, um, Oh, sorry, 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 go ahead. Yeah, and it's kind of fun. You know, that's what kind of the trippy, one of the trippiest things about researching a lot of this behind the movie is that Tarantino had a lot of Reynoldsisms that were crammed into this movie. He was going to have uh... Reynolds was going to be in. Yeah, yeah, yep, he's he supposed, to he's supposed to be yep. the ranch owner. Yep, George Spahn. Yep, then Reynolds Wait. died right before uh, they were going to start filming, so they filled the role with uh, Bruce Dern. Then um, in the past movies like Inglorious Bastards and Kill Bill. Um, Tarantino had used uh, bits of score from one of Reynolds' old movies that Tarantino loves called White Lightning. And even um, The Fourteen Fists of McCluskey, the uh, movie that Rick learned how to use the flamethrower in, the McCluskey was a reference to Burt Reynolds' character's name from White Lightning. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, what I was going to say is um, that art form, is, in terms of that type of uh, stuntman or body double loyalty, even stand-in, that's a lost art nowadays. Um, I'm not saying no uh, celebrity does it or working actor does it. Uh, because again, I argue like the, the word celebrity is dying and almost mm-hmm. non-existent. But um, I was on a, on a Will Smith set. Actually, it was Hancock. And uh, it was his uh, stand-in, not even like stunt double. It was like just his stand-in where, mind you, at this point, you know, Hancock, he's done bad boys, independent state. Like he's a star, you know what I'm saying? So, but his stand-in got paid so well that he drops everything to be on set. And Will Smith specifically asks him to be on set uh, no matter what. Um, and that's not common nowadays because, again, Dama doesn't, doesn't have... You don't have to look like the actor, but it always helps. It's always preferred. But mm-hmm. a lot of productions don't care anymore because that's like resources and money that you don't have to spend on that. Mm-hmm. But this guy had Will Smith's mannerisms to the point where you're just like... Oh, you just you just you just pretend to be Will Smith on your off time. That's just who you are now. You know what I mean? Uh, um, like the way he chewed his gum, the way he walked, even like his speech pattern changed. And he even said, "Like, yeah, man, you know, I've been doing this for years to the point where you know, big big Willie, you know, hit me up, and every time he need me, you know, I'll be happy all set." You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, what, fuck, what the hell is happening? After you uh, describe what body doubles were, now I see it um, in the Ant Man movie that we'll be talking about in the yeah. geek section. Um, yeah. You can tell that Bill Murray isn't actually there with the rest of the actors, and then like every Barely. time you see the back of uh, not not Kathleen Turner, 
Michelle Pfeiffer. Every time you see the back of Michelle Pfeiffer, I can tell now that you that you said it that they have body doubles and yeah, yeah. I can, it, it's funny I can see it now. Yeah, the, the curtain pulled back on that one's kind of kind of interesting because there's a lot of movies where actors. I just shouldn't say a lot, but there's a, there's enough movies where actors don't necessarily get along with the other actors, so they oh, won't wow. be in the same scene with them. And uh, the most popular one is because it's so obvious. But also, the if you Rock don't know, then you... And Vin Diesel. Yeah, The Rock and Vin Diesel. Like, whatever, Fate of the Eight. I mean, man, I, I know a couple of people who worked on that set, and I'm just like, yeah, those... They, they hated <laughs> Oh, The Rock and... Oh, they you know many stories? I, I, like, made a video talking about The Rock and Vin Diesel's feud. And I'm just kind of curious <laughs> if my insta- instincts are, like, right on the money, or, like, what details you have. Oh, I gotta I got check it out. Uh, so, without even knowing that, like, it's just, it's just that... I mean, again, it's such a doggy dog industry because, you know, Vin Diesel was a star first, you know, like Vin Diesel, people forget like Vin Diesel is not as, because he, because I call it the Picasso effect. Like, um, you get so good or so famous, you get known for a specific type of, uh, of actor. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, and and the reason why I call it the Picasso effect is like Picasso's like the foundation of artistry is actually realism. But his his most successful work is the one that he looks like he drew with his dick. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's just crazy, abstract, and were you blind or were you drunk? But it was the credibility of him be, being an artist first that let people know, like, no, this speaks to me because this guy's so talented. He doesn't have to do it this way. He's doing it this way because of art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm just forget. curious which one he drew with his dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you. But but but. But but that's my point. People forget that Vin Diesel is actually an actor. Like he's done stuff. You know what I mean? Like where he before he was ever to he is way more than Fast and Furious. I mean, people forget that he was in fucking Saving Private Ryan. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, and another movie before that, before he became like the the stoic, slow talking Yo, Brian. Yeah, you know family. what? Let's, let's get the team together for the family. But um, before that, he was actually a good actor. So my yeah, point I, is, I, mm-hmm. when you have the ego between Vin Diesel, who, again, arguably did pave the way for modern-day action stars, and then you have somebody like The Rock, but here's the thing about Vin Diesel, I mean, again, this is going to be one of those podcasts where they'll drag it back up and just, like, DJ Wade just mm-hmm. But, like, like, legitimately, you know, everybody doesn't always show up, show up to set on time. Um, you know, sometimes they show up a little bit, you know, under the influence or whatever, whatever. Professionalism is not a universal trait. <laughs> I mean, especially when you are uh, first on the bill. You know what I'm saying? And then The Rock is very much, you know, I wake up at five o'clock and then I eat trucks for breakfast and then I shit diamonds for, you know, be yeah. great, don't stop, I well, told you, yeah, let's get it, What was that guys. famous thing he did on TikTok or, like, uh, Twitter or Instagram where it's like, um, uh, the gate was broken in my house, uh, but people depend on me, the sets depend on me, all yeah. these hundred workers are, so yeah. I use my strength and I rip the gate off, I don't care if I have to... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's gonna stop me, you have to fucking hold me back. You know uh, what? I know it's uh, on my back, and no, I'm not going to fail anyone because I'm, I'm not going to fail myself. Yeah, I get it. A fun so, thing that Isaac points out in his video is once again how human everyone is, and how like Vin Diesel. Yeah, he's a legit actor, but unfortunately for him, quote unquote, unfortunately for him, now he's only known for doing Picasso paintings in Fast and Furious. Meanwhile, The Rock gets to do any genre he wants to, and it's just you know can make him feel intimidated when he. Should it be the star, and I guess there's, there's a re- there's a reason for that though. Like honestly, like The Rock was very smart, I and mean, whether it's by chance or by circumstances, it's like um, like The Rock's wife 
has her hands in a lot of production shit. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's what's the name of it? Like nine dollar production or something, or seven, like six right? Seven, yeah, yeah, seven bucks or something like that, and that's supposed to be like a reflection of how much money he had in his pocket before getting into the industry. Um, but that's just it. Their production team is that is that influential that he can do that. I mean, arguably, you couldn't tell me like three of the rocks like fucking character names in anything, like <laughs> outside of Scorpion King, and, and when his name is not in the fucking title, and Black Adam doesn't count because it was the rock with superpowers. <laughs> But you couldn't tell me right now three fucking characters like what was his name in fucking Rampage? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Or, or, no. or San Andreas <laughs> or Skyscraper. A, yeah. Like you barely know his name from fucking Fast and Furious. That's because there's a fucking spinoff on this shit. You know what I mean? Like that's my point. Like it's not like uh, in Jumanji. Like, yeah, they say his name enough, and that's because Jumanji Jumanji is honestly pretty awesome. Like uh, Doctor Gladstone or whatever. Um. But that's just it. You don't have to do much after a certain point, but his production team is impeccable. So you're right. Actors who get, like, again, they get they into their pocket for costliness, but like The Rock can do whatever the fuck he wants because he was brilliant on the back and end. He did a lot of, he was just really smarter versus poor Vin Diesel, who I f- kind of feel sympathetic towards because like he tried to, you know, tried to be bloodshot. He tried to launch that like D&D character, the last witch hunter. He's thrown so many things to like show that like, I'm, I'm a movie star. People still come for me, but nothing's ever quite clicked in the same way as the Fast and the Furious uh, does. Uh, so so it, it makes sort of sense like um, being jealous of The Rock and having him has the stat it would technically he brought him into that family and well and even though you know the rock doesn't need fast and furious uh anymore but also the rock is such not as he's so non-nonsense i mean he's so nonsense not nonsense. Yeah, yeah. the rock is no nonsense yeah not, yeah so you have to understand so the rock is like mr i do show up on time let's get this done so vin diesel's hating on him wasn't like him hating on him because of like alpha male mentality it was just more like who are you to challenge my authority? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was more on that end where everybody's there to work. And people kind of just say, you know, of course, you're, you're top bill, Vin Diesel for Fast and Furious. Also, shout out to the pacifier. Um, <laughs> the, you know, so he did try. Um, but that's just it. When you have a certain work ethic, not everybody in the industry has the same work ethic, you know. And for some people, it's like it's not a big deal. But the days of being that megalomaniac star you can't, it's, dude, you can barely keep anything under wraps on site anymore because of cell phones, because of technology. Like, if, even if you wanted to have, like, a celebrity meltdown, you might just cancel yourself. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, Mario has a uh, skit on Family Guy, like Christian Bale did. That's exactly <laughs> the point. Christian Bale's freakout was, like, the beginning of the end. <laughs> because that, that was, it really was. It was the beginning of the end, and for better and for worse, in the sense of, like, well, obviously more for better, because obviously that shouldn't be a thing. But people who have never been on sets will never understand how stressful, like, fucking sets are. It is long hours. Um, you either have something to do or you have nothing to do. People are cranky. They've been there since the, the ass crack of, of dawn, even before that. They might have did, like, a 13-hour shoot day before, the day before. You have to move everything, yada, yada, yada. So when people are late or people are, quote-unquote, unprofessional or people fuck up your vibe or fuck up your flow, because not only you think as an actor, you just go there and do your lines, yeah. That's what you get paid for, of course. But depending on the director, when you have your shots, you don't want to waste any possibility where you're just like, oh, I feel good. I'm doing my lines. And it was fucking ruined because this guy ruined it. Now, does that excuse his attitude in terms of, don't you fucking rock in my life? No, 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 not necessarily. 
but that life is fucking stressful. I mean, some are obviously easier than others because it's less technically involved or it's just a better vibe or better content or just easier. Or more, more money. But, but the, the big, more money, but the big blockbuster ones that requires everything to be a certain kind of way. Oh yeah, dude. Like uh, set life is, it's fun. It's, it's, it's definitely part of it. It's the goal. It's, it's the, it's, it's what we're here for, but man, it is stressful. So, so maybe, then they don't have all the professionalism that Rick Dalton had to just wait till he got back to his trailer and then lose his shit. <laughs> exactly. All, all that. Exactly. Shout out to Rick Dalton. We, we could all learn a lot. Well, from well, that, yeah, I, I experienced it only once. Uh, there's a movie shot in Colgate, Wisconsin, and um, I've, I've always had uh, we they did this thing where um, they're trying to do like you know, this one shot, one long shot, um, and. Uh, the the sun was killing everybody. We were doing like a mock Woodstock. There's like hundreds of people out there, and everyone was dying the entire day just so some people in the far distance could get their one shot done. And yeah, I guess if like anybody, if a star decided to show up late, like how many days that would just the anger and the frustration I can imagine. Uh, but yeah, every time I see a one shot done, I'm like, oh wow, like on a huger scale, like that's going to be even like much harder. And anyway, yeah. Well, one thing I also kind of want to bring up relating to actors and once upon a time in Hollywood, does anyone here have any interesting thoughts about the Simon Liu? Well, uh, Tarantino said that there's no more movie stars and it's perfectly in line. And he, he mentioned, you know, the guy we love to talk about Anthony Mack talking about how movie stars are practically dead. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> Simon Liu, uh, like, Oh God. And he's just becoming so, I just wish he was someone would take away his Twitter. He's like, well, well, the, well I, I, I headlined in a, Four hundred million dollar Marvel movie, and as much as I'm grateful for the previous Hollywood, it was hell of a racist. It's just like Jesus fucking Christ! How, how can you like not understand the the, the fucking me- message? Like, it, it's great that you're in this big movie, but the whole point is nobody went to see the movie; they went for the Marvel brand, not because it was a Simon Liu thing. Yeah, Simu, Simu Liu, My apologies. Yeah. To... Uh, no, I, I have a. Uh, my bad. Whoever wants to go first, I talk a lot. We all know this. Who wants to go first? Yeah, you first. Uh, I'll just say this. I get both sides, man. I do. Uh, I do I do feel like his mic probably should be taken away, and it should probably go through a little bit more uh, uh, PR revi- revisions, but um, both points are strong. I'm, I'm on the train as far as uh, um, what was the quote? That celebrities aren't a thing? or uh, super Movie stars don't, don't exist anymore. Movie stars don't exist. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, even um, uh, you still there? Cutting out for us. Oh no! Did we lose DJ? There he is. Huh? You cut out there. Oh, I apologize. But uh, even somebody else uh, went on the record. I can't, I can't, she was in the last James Bond movie. She's really pretty. Uh, I can't remember her name. But even she's like, yes, uh, celebrity is basically dead. So the point is, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, the trend of going through reboots and only nostalgia to the point where you're only going to see these character types. That's all That's all real. I believe in that. But I will say this, like, for instance, Asian actors, um, every, every color of really, but Asian actors specifically, I can understand the defense mechanism to say like, hey, now look at what we're doing because of whatever reason. So I can I can understand the uh, not blind loyalty, but let's just use that for the sake of argument. Just a blind loyalty as far as Marvel did this for us. Just like again, mm-hmm. even like 
quote unquote black movies. And you could you could you know, let me know what you feel on this, Keith. You know, the fact that we even have to say black movies in itself, it's its own point of contention. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like movies that happen to have black people. But when you say something like Black Panther, the very first Black Panther, how exciting was that? Well, at least for me, it was in terms yes. of not only is this an, a great Marvel movie, well, not without its flaws, mind you, but it was universally like accepted. It, it, it did give a certain type of uh, love to the culture. Um, and also, uh, Ryan Coogler is just a fantastic director. You know what I mean? This is before the machine that Marvel is now in terms of like, Hey, you have zero. Like, I think he did the best he could with black Panther too, period. I don't think it was like his fault. I think he did what he could. I think it's as good as I think black Panther two is as good as it is because of him and yes. everything that's not good is because of what Marvel wanted to do. And like, Hey, throw, throw Ironheart in there, throw this in there. By the way, this yeah. person died. Da, 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 da. The that's not that's not his fault. You know what I mean? He did the best. The, the whole Tola Khan thing was a beautiful sequence to me. And that was because Ryan Kruger is a good ass director. But again, back to the Simu Lu thing, uh, it's like, I can understand his uh, defense to, Hey, look at this now, because for, for a, a lot, whether it's crazy rich Asians or, um, um, Shang-Chi, you know, that's another, Oh, look at this. We're, 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 we're tipping the scale. We're, we're tipping the pointer. Now, do I think he needs to say it the way he says it? No. Eh, I agree. I, I, uh, I understand both sides, but I agree that uh, the celebrity or the, the movie star is dying a dying breed, a dying concept. Like, we have, like, maybe Tom Cruise and people in Tom Cruise's caliber. And, you know, George Clooney is just like, hey, I'm going. <laughs> well, I'd say... I don't don't think George Clooney is a movie star because, like, I I mean, he has an incredible Mm -hmm. amount of prestige, but I could, like, name a a dozen movies that George Clooney's been in that have completely flopped and bombed. Like, like George Clooney being in your movie does not guarantee, you know, gets butts and seats. It used to. anymore. That's that's the point. Yeah, it used to, but he put himself in a position to not be that anymore, and anything he does now is just for fun. But Yeah, he prefers to direct nowadays more anyway, so... Yeah, same thing with Ben Affleck. I mean, you cannot say there's a reason why that Rat Pack was so iconic in the Ocean series. Regardless of uh, those are your type of movies or not, every single person on that Ocean's character, like, dude, that's the type of role I would die to be in. Just being surrounded by Matt Damon, uh, Brad Pitt, like, their they're chemistry alone, Don Cheadle, you mm-hmm. know, these are the greats. These are the, uh, Bernie Mac at the time, RIP. Like, this is when you know you're in good company when you're in that type of mix. You know what I mean? So George yeah. Clooney unapologetically has taken himself out of it because he, he just has, and he's probably smarter for it. I mean, his wife is like a uber successful lawyer or some shit. My my take on the sunset of celebrities is, um, I hope that like what we're seeing is just fluctuations of like trends, like you know, like there's a sunset and a sunrise, and um, the what was the oh the 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 first thing that came to mind was. Uh, many years ago, I remember hearing some smart old guy say, in the future, everyone will have their own television channel and be their own star. Everyone will have a chance to be a star. And like I remember at the time going, yeah, right. Here's- oh, he predicted Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was, I, at, the, at the time, I was, I was so hey, dismissive. TikTok, I was bro. like, that's impossible. Dude, that's impossible. That's never going to happen. You're saying something big just to say something big. And oh, 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 wow. With a phone, anyone that really has their own, it really happened, and here we are. But like, what I'm hoping that is going to happen is we're in like um, the birthing pains of a new era. Because I like my stars, I like seeing larger than life people, and maybe we're just going through 
some kind of crucible that will once again somehow bring about the uh the people we look up to that you know earn it and aren't just like hitting the viral time at the time so i it's happened uh it's unfortunate but i'm hoping this is just a transitional period to me is the only just way a generation speaking or is that just your own personal preference well say that again what was that question is it just like uh, remaining vestiges of our generation, you know, the generation that grew up with being around movie superstars and seeing them all the time and having that fascination? Or do you really truly believe that at some point they'll rebound? I think it's possible. I, I, I'm not, I don't know. I think it's possible. Like, things change. There's cycles. Things come and go. I'm right with the cycles, but I mean... I don't yeah. think it's going to happen as long as we have um, uh, TikTok. Or, or <laughs> something happens with... Uh, no, I mean that serious though. Like, um, I, it just—it's just, it's, just um, there, it's it's literally, even though it's not any one specific thing, you have to ask yourself why did the concept die in the first place? It's because um, comment sections will let you know exactly what today's uh, uh, keyboard unfiltered warrior responses is from uh, the consumers. You know, for better and for worse. You know, I, like I've lived long enough for people to say that Eminem's a shitty rapper, and I'm like, fuck <laughs> you. Um, like, listen, he doesn't have to be your favorite rapper, but to the point where you're just like, oh, yeah, Eminem's a shitty rapper. Like, oh, I fucking hate it here. But so that's just it. Like, you just get all terrible go, content. Yeah, but you can go to any comment section of anything and it'll tell you exactly what the consumer is like right now. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. a lot a lot of times it's not like I've come across this a lot where uh, depending on the post, like they'll say something like, oh, what's a celebrity? Celebrities are dumb. You know what I mean? Like nobody's really a celebrity because we're all equal. Da, 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 da. And there is some truth to that and there's credence to that and that's a healthy thing to acknowledge. But if there is a positive spin on what it means to be a celebrity, uh, quote unquote, let's just put, uh, let's just say, sorry, hypothetically, the, the positive spin is there was at least investment in appreciation. Again, not everything about being a celebrity is, is positive, but the appreciation of what they represented, the, if I can make it, you might make it. The, I live my life in a very specific way because there's not many of us. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone is traveling, which is great, but everyone is perfect. Everyone has a fat ass, BBLs for the win. And then everyone, uh, everyone has a cold gate smile. Everyone has a lot of... Uh, um, tracking and I'm following this person because I want my life to be just like them. So in order for this to even come close to like a reboot, um, that medium platform has to be curbed or at least the appreciation has to be shifted because role models are now people who are basically copy and pasting trends on TikTok. That's what role models are nowadays. They're popular. They're pretty. They're, they're good looking. So that's what we idolize. That's where we put our investment in. I, rant, I was, rant, 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 rant over. I was going to say, like, uh, one, yeah, one of the biggest quote-unquote problems is that the, the, the lack of a limit of channels. Like, we had celebrities because there was, you know, a limit of channels that you would see anybody become a celebrity through. Now that you have millions, yeah, it's, it's, I, I still, my fingers are crossed that somehow we'll crunch back down to the specials. Um, do we want to, like, uh, do final thoughts on the movie or we have any other like you know things in the movie to talk about? Boot. 
think uh, I don't know. It feels like we covered the the full gauntlet, and you know, it's a nice, fun appreciation towards a bygone era, and, and maybe that is the key. Just the technology, like uh, the technology, sort of created a limited apparatus where not everyone could be on television, and Pandora's box is kind of, but like there is so, sort of like the cream of the crop kind of like rises to the surface so like i I don't know the joel Mm -hmm. haver guy uh, has the the finances where he's doing like comedy sketches and he does these like ambitious um you know animations the uh uh, whatchamacallit the vizio pop basically got an animation tv series uh, through her talent alone with the hell of a boss in the um has been hotel so it's and oh, oh god have you ever heard about the Kane pixels guy no. Uh, so there's, there's this YouTuber I, I, was, I stumbled across, and he'd do these incredible, like, 3D animations where he would, like, basically do, like, this photoreal recreation of Attack on Titan scenes and, like, make it look like vintage World War II footage. Uh, and then he did this thing uh, where he brought the back rooms, which was, like, this kind of, like, creepypasta thing to life through CGI animations. And, you know... Oh yeah, and he just got the movie deal to turn that into a full length. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. The kid's only fucking seventeen, so, so like, t- oh talent God. does. Uh, you know, who, maybe the movie will suck, or maybe, maybe he's just a wonderkind who who is able to execute on his vision. So, uh, like, now there's ways for more talent to rise up. I guess it's just a question of. Um, you know, what will the talent do to keep on rising up? Because maybe the thing is, is like, um, you know, there needs to be more movie actor uh, combos like Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. And that's how you kind of like build that movie versus like, you know, oh, I need to take this shitty movie. And uh, when you take that shitty movie, your star, your stature uh, kind of declines and you lose your movie star status. Like, uh, I love that. I love that kids are able to do that. And again, Star Wars alone has proven, like, you know, when they did the whole, like, Luke Skywalker deepfake, and then, what, the kid on YouTube said, that was fine, I could do it better, but then they hired him. I love that that's a source. I love that it, it creates more platforms for, for talent to be out there. My biggest concern is, like, again, going back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that simplicity of appreciation is all but dead because of the oversaturation. So, yes, more job opportunities, but less hype for them. Like, movies like A Few Good Men will never happen again at any time soon in terms of appreciation. Or, like, Forrest Gump, a journeyful, character-driven movie. Back to you. All right, maybe that... I think, like, you bring up a really good point, um, DJ, and um, maybe that's what's missing in the current era of wild technology is that there's very little opportunity for curation. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and like that, that, that sort mm-hmm. of curation is how like you know people kind of stand out and rise up to the top versus you know an endless deluge of everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> Whatever yeah, you want. People push back saying that you have to question the motives and the ways of those who are actually doing the curation. They actually prefer the open source and wide open wild west of it. And you're also not pushed to even try to watch new things. Like me and my buddy were talking about. Uh, this movie with Gregory Hines and uh, Barishnikov called White Knights, and it's wow, mainly I about seen that uh, forever. yeah, it's mainly like you know tap dancing in Russia movie, and like I remember for a time like you know it was kind of a kind of a big deal like you know you watch it on HBO, and you know I watched it as a kid, but now like will you ever get a mass audience together that wants to watch you know guys tap dance? Not, not happening. Unless it gets Oscar nominations, probably not. Yeah. All right. Then, like, yeah, uh, want to wind down, do our final thoughts on what's about time in Hollywood? Uh, sounds, sounds like a plan. All right. DJ, sir, 
What are your final thoughts on your experience with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I appreciate Tarantino taking the time. I love the fact that Tarantino has um, his very specific goals. And I don't, I don't think he ever... I don't know. You, you guys can be... I might have to look this up or maybe you guys can correct me. I don't think he's ever really said, like, I didn't make the movie I, I wanted to make. I feel like he's always proud... And it always feels like he's come pretty close to like, hey, that's that's what I wanted to do. And there's one one I exception love- to that. I think Death Proof is the only movie he he's like ever like kind of like regretted. Oh really? I, I'd have okay. to don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like I've seen him say that that's his worst movie, and that that's because he he just wanted to have fun with Robert Rodriguez and redo the Grindhouse experience. And I will say one of my favorite movie experiences was going with my buddy back in college uh, to watch like the three hour uninterrupted Grindhouse. We got like Seven Eleven hot dogs, and we were just laughing and rioting. Yes. There weren't many people in it, but we just had like such a fucking blast with those two movies and the fake trailers. Oh, mm-hmm. well, the fake trailers were Those fantastic. Were I love that. <laughs> Thanksgiving, love coming that. out in February. <laughs> I still wish yeah. had actually been made, aside from Machete. So, yeah, um, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, I, I love the, the time capsule aspect of it. Um, it's the, the movie, obviously, has been very meaningful, um, just because of... I think the casting was fantastic, too. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the casting and characters completely meshed well where I can't even see anybody else playing those parts. Like, it had to be Leo and uh, Pitt and Margot to be able to, to, to create this driving force. And uh, I love the, the, the pull of the curtain just to kind of get a taste, even if it's a stylistic taste of that era. I miss that uh, innocence, quote-unquote. I miss the grand, grandiose of it, uh, connecting it to our current conversation of current uh, entertainment. Um, there's definitely a huge separation in, in, in that era compared to what we appreciate now. So uh, not necessarily the most technical Tarantino movie, but I definitely appreciate the time capsule of the 60s and what he loved about it and also what he would do to the Manson family if he had a chance to kick their ass. So, hmm. uh, yeah, uh, I, I think Cliff Booth is the coolest of cool. And, um, you know, shout out to uh, um, Leo's character. Uh, um, Dalton, uh, just just for trying to to make it do what it do in Hollywood. Right on, MJ. Final thoughts. I have to wonder if Tarantino thought about writing this movie after he brought the Eros, because uh, there was that. Uh, you guys, re- I don't know if you guys remember that one part where um, Sharon and Jay are walking in the restaurant, and Sharon looks down the road and says, "Well, even dirty movies get big premieres." Yeah. Yeah, that that they were referring to the Eros, which is a theater that uh, Tarantino actually bought and uh, reopened as the New Beverly, and he shows uh, double features downtown in Hollywood now. But I mean, it's just that entire love of Hollywood that Tarantino put into this movie, and you can feel it. And it's I, I kind of wish that he would push his book or even a, any other companions to go with it for anybody's really interested in Hollywood history, because that's what this movie is: is just Hollywood history. And it's really fun to see him putting that much of himself into that movie. I mean, it's not his most risque movie, which is why it's kind of like mid-tier for me. It doesn't really push any of the boundaries that he's known to push. Mm-hmm. But it is just, you know, kind of a nice sit in the seat next to him and just have him sit there and point out all the fun stuff that he's enjoyed over the years. All right. And... Isaac, your feel, uh, final thoughts? Uh, I think it's a great uh, piece of Tarantino fiction, something that, like... Um, 
is very different from the rest of his films, which makes it stand out. Um, like I said, I, I think it's like kind of the mid-tier of his filmography, not because it's necessarily bad, just because of how tremendous and influential his other films have been. Um, but uh, I think it is a sweet, uh, wonderful hangout movie uh, that uh, just has a uh, – beautiful uh friendship at its core makes you longful for even if you didn't have any sentimentality for the 60s it makes you sentimental uh does uh playful with history and is kind of like a weird uh bookend to the fairy tale of um you know if cinema could kill hitler then this is uh, and cinema can kill um uh, the antebellum South and slavery and the, the white plantation, then cinema can kill the darkening era of the seventies and, uh, uh, leave that image of the perfect movie star, uh, to life. All right. Um, my final thoughts. Um, I, I liked how someone also, like th- this is, uh, maybe, a, a, a like a homage to the end of that era, end of this era, and also, someone pointed out like how a lot of this was uh, Tarantino doing homage to himself, like end of his era, because there's lots of stuff in here that is like reused sets from Django Unchained. Um, there's like a background that Jackie Brown walked past. So a lot of this is like maybe him saying goodbye to Hollywood, the one that he grew up in and like loved. Um, I also wanted to really want to talk really quickly, like how much I loved uh, DiCaprio's performance like the layers he hits so quickly and beautifully and perfectly where, you know, he's an actor playing an actor, playing a character that flips back to the actor so easily. Like dude yeah, just man. was yeah, man. Uh, the Bruce Lee of acting up in here. And yeah, that, that always just like takes my breath away when I see how quickly he moves from different characters within the character. That's um, what I thought was kind of funny that, uh, Pitt was the only one nominated for uh, acting. Yeah, wow. this, and DiCaprio wasn't. I didn't even think of that. And yeah, DiCaprio deserved the nomination on this because that was amazing to watch him do what that, almost effortlessly. Uh, can uh, I just say one thing as yeah. uh, an entertainer, whatever, whatever the fuck I am, I don't know the fuck I am, but as somebody Actor. who, thank you, man. I mean, I'm not going to say it, but cool. <laughs> um, but one uh, sequence that made me go. Damn, that's so good. Besides the the the, I mean, the whole movie is great. It's well acted, all executed well. It was when he was in character doing uh, uh one set, and he was doing the western thing, mm-hmm. and literally it goes from the movie to him doing his take of it, like doing the in between takes, and and he even has his insecurities then, where during the take he was like, "No, guys, I want to do it again. I want to do it. like, no, no, finish it." All right, all right, all right. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh. Like that right there was that. I don't even know how to describe the way that impacted me because that was a level of uh, relatability. If you've had any type of artistic uh, association, whether it's music or needing to be put on the spot or interview or whatever, or just trying to get yourself in that zone mm-hmm. and you're, you're second guessing and the fact that it was t- uh, talked through as if it was happening and you could, and, and it is exactly an actor playing an actor who is doing a take as an actor. It's like, this yeah. is fucking brilliant where he doesn't even think he has it. And he, he, he gives him, he gives him this amazing performance by pushing through, but he also had to get that nudge because he has those insecurities. There's so many nuances and layers to these characters. That's just, and then 
I don't know. That scene alone made me go, that's so fucking good. Mm. Oh, that was the other fun thing about the freakout scene in the trailer. Tarantino, uh, DiCaprio ad lit that. He had to convince Tarantino to let him do that. Improv, yep. Yeah, Tarantino wasn't even sure about it, but yeah, once again, DiCaprio, dude, is a force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, um, I'll, I'll put this in the higher tier of Tarantino stuff. Uh, I know it, it lacks edge, but how much he impacts pop culture and just plays it. Um, this was the Tarantino symphony to me. Like It was mm. like all the stuff I love about him and just played beautifully on screen, smoothly, almost effortlessly. And yeah, I had so much fun. And also, I will always cherish the layered uh, adventure I had of what the fuck is going on here? Uh, I had of not knowing who Sharon Tate was or who the Manson family really were. So that was a fun uh, experience to be confused through. So yeah, that is, I think that is it for us on this podcast for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. DJ, where can we find more of you on the internet or television or movies? Um, Honestly, right now, you can find me at Instagram only. I don't do the Twitter. I don't really have anything else. So just Instagram at DJ Rivers. There's a number two in there somewhere. You'll find it. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. Please. And then right now, I'm currently working on uh, a web series called Power Rangers Bloodline of the Grid with Christopher Cayman Lee, the original... Yes. A- <laughs> appreciate you, man. Uh, he's the original Andros from the Power Rangers in Space season. This is the sequel series to that cast, so we do have a lot of familiar faces coming back up. Big time jump from the original season, and uh, yeah, Chris and I are partners on that, and uh, we're excited to get our third episode up and running, and uh, that's basically what I've been focusing on lately. Yes! So, so it is happening. We're getting, we are getting, it's confirmed the third episode's happening. Is it done? It's not done. We we just started filming literally a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's one of those things where it's a passion project. It's a project of love. So, um, and one big one big difficulty is like again, these are the actual actors from the Power Ranger franchise. So a lot of them are doing tours. They're doing appearances. So scheduling is always the thing, and just making sure our. But we have a great crew. Uh, we have a great team, and uh, yeah, uh, episode three is uh, up and running. We just need to need to get it done for you guys. I'm there, dude. Can't wait to see it. Appreciate All right. you, man. You're welcome. MJ, where can we find more of you on the, on the internet? I'm on all the socials as MJ3342. Right on. Lobstermatic Reviews, Mr. Isaac, where can we find uh, you, you on the internet? You can find me on uh, YouTube for Lobster Magnet. And I also have a Lobster Magnet on TikTok, which I've been experimenting on. I'm uh, doing a lot more short-form content. Uh, seen some a lot of growth from that, although uh, I, I got a rant uh, for two seconds. Uh, I'm so pissed. I, I, I did like this uh, review where I described uh, on the like the South Park uh, latest episode, which was about Kanye, and it got taken down for hate speech, and all I fucking do is like, talk about what happened in the episode. Oh my god, it just drives me insane yeah on yeah TikTok? on tiktok it huh. was the weirdest thing okay. and literally okay. it's just like mostly just me like the recounting things that happened in the episode but i i guess either someone flagged it or maybe the bot flagged it and oh it just sucks so much welcome 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 to tiktok and for a fact bro yes there's algorithms involved but tiktok honestly they have employees that look at this shit bro so, so either somebody was hating on you or they just didn't feel like they wanted that to get the traction. I, I hate to tell you this, but it, that's 
it's been all but pretty much confirmed. Like, I think there's like documents saying like, hey, there's there's like ambassadors who approve this shit. So, so somebody was fucking saying, weird because you there's no if someone like fucks with you, it's next to impossible to reach a human and to say, hey, why don't you use some uh, cognitive thing that like this is not endorsing Kanye West. This is just a, s- a summary of a satire of about Kanye West. This is not by any definition yeah. hate speech. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So obnoxious. I just despise it. Uh, like these huge companies are like um you know oh god forbid we should we should pay people to actually be able to do a human review of this mm, but yeah. uh, anyway uh, yeah look up for me on youtube that's where my, most of my <laughs> stuff is uh just to type in lobster magnet my seo is good enough that that it'll come up right on uh you can find me at keith hayward on twitter at keith justice on instagram you can find this podcast and more on popgeeks.com Thank you all for listening. Once again, Brian Klein, thank you for all your work, and we'll see you in the next one. Take it easy. We are out. Jack, yeah, freak, nice.